How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Science Show Podcast, episode 234. Very nice. That's a lot of episodes. There's a lot of episodes. I'm going to interrupt you again. No, that's cool. That's cool. How you doing, Jake? <laughs> I should I should put that at the start of the show. You should. You should just do that. Yeah. Completely break any form of professionalism the show has tried to maintain. I know, exactly. 230 episodes. I know. This is it. This is finally when our professionalism goes down the toilet. Neat. He <laughs> gets yeeted. Uh, how how was your trip, Zeke? It was good. It was good. I came back very early this morning, so yeah. I noticed you posted last night. You were at the airport. Yeah. So early, well, like three, four in the morning. Yeah, I think I got we got back to my house at about yeah, I'd say about three Ooh. this morning. So very nice. Slept quickly. Ran. Watched the movie of the week today. <laughs> ready to go. Fresh. Oh. Very fresh take from yeah. from Zeke. I love it. Super hot off the press. But what about you, Jake? How are you doing? I'm doing quite did, well, thank you. Did you miss the podcast? I did. I did. It's been quite a while. I feel like I had a lot of time to prep for this week. And then today I'm like, oh, I feel like I haven't done much. But I but I actually have because I did a lot of re-watching of older films. So we can talk about those as well. Um, they're all, of course, relevant to the film of the week. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, of course, last week we did Raiders of the Lost Ark. We're jumping quite ahead into the franchise. Yeah. But I, I think that's fine, because I think last week, I think we were quite good at just talking about Raiders and just talking about the, the context of that film in its own and, of course, Spielberg and Lucas' relationship and everything. Mm. I think this week's a great chance to talk about the wider franchise. Yep. Of, gosh, how many years now? Like, 40 years? Yep. 40 plus years. 40 plus years. Yeah. 40 plus years. Wow. Of um of Indiana Jones. I've actually got the little pop vinyl here. It's old indie. Ah. But not, not super old indie. No. He kind of looks... He looks... I would say this is like Crystal Skull indie. Even, they clearly made this five seconds ago. It's clearly meant to be the new film, but he doesn't look as old. He's got quite a beard as well. Yeah. Or stubble. He's got a bit of painted yeah. stubble on there. But yeah, regardless of all of that, Zeke. Yeah. I have some fun facts or trivia for The Dial of Destiny. Hit me up with it, Jake. I'll, I'll, I certainly will. Get ready. I'm going to actually whip it your way, so to speak. Um, so what's ironic about this film, because there was a big period of time where we didn't realize this was going to exist, obviously. Yep. Um, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, there were, there were sort of rumblings about what a fifth indie film would look like and of course there was a huge gap between the third and fourth film and all of that which is ironic because now there are actually more films in the franchise that were deemed the ending than there were entries that were not (laughs) the last three films were all kind of meant to be conclusions to the franchise but what is especially interesting is that this actually finally completes paramount's original deal they made in 1979 for five indiana jones movies so it took them that long to <laughs> to fulfill their uh, request. Very interesting. That's pretty wild to think about. Mm. But we got there in the end. What about you, Zeke? Do you have any fun trivia for the well, Dial of Destiny? I mean, there's plenty of things we could go with. Mm. Um, I did have to admit, one thing I did notice uh, was I thought Harrison Ford, being mm. in his uh, 80s now, I believe. Yeah, I think he is 80, right? as, um, we're, as we're speaking right now. He's actually looking pretty fit. For mm. an eight-year-old, and it turns out he actually embarked on forty-mile bike rides and daily walks to get into shape for Indiana Jones. Oh, which, very good. You know, we, we were talking about him doing all of his stunts and stuff last week on the show. So, yes. Um, and despite his 
grumpy and somewhat blunt demeanor. Um, <laughs> clearly, there is still a, a, a love for this role and and a need to at least get himself presentable and and of course just wanting to uphold the legacy of his probably mm. most important character. Yeah, I I would argue that. I think even just in the last couple of weeks of us going down the Indiana Jones rabbit hole, even just the the theme music of Raiders March, it's like it's kind of re-solidified itself as maybe the most famous musical or film music of all time, even yeah. more than in any of other um, John Williams's pieces. But the character and and uh, Harrison Ford's role as that character, does that trump Han Solo? I think it I think it probably does. does, yeah. I think because of the scope of Star Wars mm. in terms of how many really important characters there are. I mean, those those sequel films that we don't think about or talk about, but <laughs> they blatantly are showing us the the legacy of not just Han Solo, but obviously Luke Skywalker and, yep. and, and Princess Leia in that particular incident, which shows that it was a, it was a trifecta, whereas mm. Indiana Jones, he is the titular character. He's the leading character. man, yeah. He's the leading man. The world does revolve around his character in mm. that sense. Um, and that's proven through uh, every film having a different uh, female lead, pretty much, and uh, different sidekick characters. Mm. A couple of, obviously, recurring ones there. Sure. But obviously, it's a bit more like, it's the Indiana Jones, it's the Adventures of Indiana Jones. Yep. Characters come back and leave, but he stays the same. Like you said, the world revolves around him. In yeah. Virtually every in piece of media that he's involved with, video games, TV shows, and obviously these films as opposed to star wars which yeah harrison ford he's obviously a very popular part of something that's much 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 bigger than him and and that's not just the the star wars lore and universe and set of characters but just the love for that ip in general and i think in a way that kind of speaks to the fact that and we'll get into this but the film is flopping hard at the box office like it's the people are watching it it's i think at about 300 250 to 300 mil return at the moment but you you know factor in the marketing costs and the the theatrical split between the theaters and and the producers they're not making their money back at all and i think despite the fact that we're arguing that indiana jones the character is is far more famous and well known than han solo i think you're right because it it hinges on him and that character more than just the millions of things that star wars hinges on is that he is the make or break for that franchise yeah which you know he's he's getting very old now i I was surprised to see this or hear this constantly but it sounds like a lot of people like he's an old man that kids don't know who he is anymore and like that kind of baffles me but then i also i meet a lot of kids who don't know what back to the future is and that baffles me too yeah it's a reality that i i'm slowly starting to realize is is surrounding us yeah it's very interesting well jake hmm what did you catch in the last week, then? So I caught a few things. I'll start off with No Hard Feelings, new Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. comedy. Um, purely because it's really the only thing I watched in the last week that has nothing to do with the wider indie discussion we're going to have, so yep. I'll start with that. Um, it's a... Yeah. <laughs> a serviceable comedy film? It's very serviceable. Um, it has... Uh, I think I wrote Unapologetically Crude. Okay. In my in my written review, in the in the sense, like kind of like Good Boys, which was also the same director, where it's it's got that sort of mid orties raunch that those comedies had, and and probably a couple of quite offensive jokes, and I think it has a it has some nice soft punches against 
there's the whole helicopter parenting aspect of the parents of the kid who Jennifer Lawrence's character is paid to sort of flirt with and date. Yeah. Um, which again, like I went into this being like, I find that a funny concept, and and half the the half the humor is just the fact that oh, I love that this kind of story is being told in 2023. Yeah. While 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it's like, oh, okay, it's just a, that's just the story. Like, I think the appeal of it now is the fact that, oh, like, I can't believe we're getting away with this. So I think that, that was part of the appeal of me watching it. Shows you the death of comedy right there, doesn't it? <laughs> well, in a sense, in, you're right, in the wider, skin, uh, uh, the wider sense of what is comedy and what is allowed to be comedy. Yeah. So I, I, it, I thought it was okay. There's other soft punches, the Gen Z sensitivity, and there's like a funny scene where she uh, gate crashes like a party, and the whole thing is like it's all subversive tropes of like none of them are really drinking. She's kicking down all these bedroom doors, and they're all doing anything but having sex, and like just the and the fact that I think she almost gets cancelled because she says something that's like misconstrued as as I think homophobic. And then like the the dad walks in like, what did you say? And she's like, why are you here? The parents aren't meant to be here. So, like, there's moments like that. I'm like, okay, that's funny. It's submersive. But it's otherwise a very cookie-cutter, straight-laced... You know exactly how it's going to play out. Oh, she's she's trying to get the young guy out of his shell, and he ends up getting her out of her shell. And, yeah, it's very... Isn't it nice okay. having a serviceable comedy every now and again, though, that doesn't have to do too much? And I know. suppose, yeah. I just, I just wish it was a little funnier. Yeah, so that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean... I, what I find really interesting is that I, I can th- all I can think of is the the films that are considered good comedies nowadays are often just uh, something starts mundane and escalates to ridiculous mm. levels. You know, I think of the Game Nights or I mean, I thought Dungeons Hangovers kind of similar. Hangovers, as well. yeah. another big one that I think of where it's like, oh, it's just a night that goes crazy and stuff, and we kind of accept those as now the the modern day comedies, mm. but then. There are other aspects, I guess. You know, I talked... I think Dungeons & Dragons is quite funny, but it's it's definitely not meant to just be... A, it's not a comedy. Yeah, it's more it's, like an action-adventure. Yeah, it's so... Comedy, like, we just throughout. don't get those those wedding crashes, mm-hmm. those dodgeballs anymore. And it's like, the you know, we were talking about with the green lint, like Dodgeball 2 being green mm-hmm. lint. What's that going to look like? Yeah, that's going to be so Have strange. you watched Dodgeball? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Those jokes don't pass anymore, and I think um, the film we're going to get won't make anyone happy, I guess. Yeah. So. What this film almost does, which goes to what you were saying about Game Night and Hangover, the films that like get like it's just super chaotic, and again, I haven't seen Game Night, but this idea of it, or the story playing out in real time, and I think part of the reason this film feels so cliche, I mean, it's a, it's a decent date movie. Me and Kirsty had fun watching it together. Yeah. Um. But what I wish it did structurally, instead of just, oh, and, and, and here's the scene, here's a collection of scenes where they're all, you know, they're going to slightly get more, not into each other, but their arcs are going to be slowly pushed forward in the, yeah. in the most obvious ways you can think of as a screenwriter, you know, the, the 101 class, so to speak. But there were big periods of uh, time, or big portions of this film, I should say, that were in real time, where one crazy thing leads to another crazy thing, which leads to another crazy thing. I was like, oh, like this. Most of this film's going to be like a real time, like relationship development. Yeah. And it was only like that for a few scenes in a row. That was when I got really excited. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then they they dropped it. So this idea of things getting more chaotic and happening in real time could have been something that I think elevated this film, which it sadly doesn't do enough. That's fair. 
yeah. No, so no hard feelings. It's, it's okay. I will say. No hard and, feelings. No, exactly. No, no hard feelings towards it. I, I definitely wasn't offended by it in that sense. But I will say before we move on, I was pleasantly surprised to see it was a very packed cinema. Like we actually got to go to a different cinema because it was straight up full. Oh, that's good. We had to go to a different session, which I was surprised because like you got Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible playing next door, and these these films are filling up seats. Yeah. So I was I was like that's that's kind of awesome. I like that. Very nice. Uh, the other thing I watched is you're going to be very happy about this because everyone and their mother has been like, Jay, you need to watch this, you need to watch this, including yourself on the show. Finally watched the Spielberg documentary, the oh. HBO 2017 doc. It's fantastic. How good is it? It's so good. The fact that it just, it chronologically goes through mm. his life and that you walk out feeling like you understand his films, time and place, yes. context, everything behind each of those major films. And the evolution of a director over mm. decades. It's so brilliant because it, you're right. It's it's the evolution. There's the thematic evolution as, as him as a person and as a director and a storyteller. Because one of the first things they talk about is the early the reviews of his very early films, like pre-Jaws films, saying like, you know, this guy's a great up-and-comer. He's got great craft and technique. But is there any more to say? And I think a lot of this documentary is going about how he's discovering that himself as he... He's going from films like Jaws and Indiana Jones, um, which are very exciting romps and genre pieces, but maybe aren't as deep as some of the other films he gets into, like, of course, Schindler's List um, or even E.T. I think Close Encounters is kind of... I still think it's his most personal film, and I think he even says it himself in this documentary, Mm. despite it being wedged surprisingly early in his career. So I thought it tied all those things super well together, and I liked that it actually went into some of the, not the controversies, but it talked about some of the negative reviews. It talked about, you know, with the color purple, that he didn't take the lesbian relationship further, and people were upset about that, and, and him saying, well, that that's that's not my story to tell, necessarily. I can't do that. And they are remaking the color purple, so maybe that story will be told yeah. with this new director. I don't know who's directing it. I should look it up. But I love that it included all of that stuff. And I mean, the only shame is the timing that came out in 2017. That's a weird time for them to put the pin on, all right, let's make the Spielberg documentary. As, as fantastic as it is, it's kind of a shame that it didn't make it to the Fablemans. Yeah. Because like, I think that's like the next logical stopping point for his career of like all right. of these elements with his parents and his, his uh, growing pains, if you will, are all represented in that film of yeah. his. It would have made for a really good... Um sort of bookmark ending. Mm. Um, obviously, they use a lot of footage from Bridge of Spies, which is what yes. he was shooting at the time. Yes. Um, which I love that, like, insular look into his directing style, talking to his camera people and talking to his actors. I thought that yeah. was nice. And, I mean, if you think about it, what did he have after that? I mean, he had Ready Player One and yep. then, of course, then The Fablemans. Oh, and West Side Story. So, was I guess we had... Story. Was there one other? No, that's You it. might be right, yeah. 17. That's the only three I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, why am I blanking? He didn't do anything in 2019. But it would have been cool. It would have been cool to sure. have a, yeah. the, those extra six years and then we get the Fablemans at the, at the end of it. But it is a very good uh, entree to watching the Fablemans. You watch that yes. and then you watch the Fablemans. It's pretty great. And I was lucky enough to watch it in that mm. order. Well, I, um, yeah, I definitely agree. Because I, I actually thought that finishing, I was like, man, I really wish I'd done what you did, which was watch this ahead of Fablemans because it informs that story so much and even just like details like the monkey they had when yeah. he was a child is like oh that's interesting so i definitely in terms of because i know you you were much um 
you were much more into that film than I was. Not that I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a great film. But I think because you had seen that documentary, it really informed it even more yeah. so. So I'd love to rewatch The Fablements with this context in mind. Especially when there's so much in the documentary about his resentment towards like his father and his yes. mother and, and over that. And obviously that's a big centerpiece of The Fablements mm. film is this teenage boy who's getting moved around a lot that's trying to comprehend the relationship that is deteriorating relationship that his mother and father having together yeah. and how he's able to process that and handle it. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. It is. I'm really glad you watched it. Oh, me, it. me too. And and before we move on, I have to say one last thing about what separates this trip because we can talk about Spielberg's career and, and all those details mm-hmm. and everything, but the thing that truly separates this from a Wikipedia article because we, I mean, I'm sure when we did E.T. many years ago, we talked about that, that, oh, oh here's a fun fact, Zeke. The, uh, they shot E.T. in chronological order. Cool. And what this documentary does is show you the real impact that doing that has on the kids that are performing in that film. And I was watching those scenes in E.T. and those behind-the-scene clips that they mm. had of, of him directing the kids in E.T. I was more emotional, like nearly in tears watching that, more than the actual movie itself. And that's not diminishing E.T. I mean, E.T.'s pro, like top three Spielberg films. I think yeah. it's absolutely phenomenal. But because it's able to visualize and contextualize that fun fact and be like, here's like on set what that creative decision Spielberg made yeah. to make the film in this way. Here's how it actually affected the story and the performances. And it was so moving. Mm. It's a absolutely phenomenal documentary. So I'm glad you recommended it to me. Um, everyone absolutely should go and binge and, and Give watch, it a watch this as soon as they can. Zeke, yeah. have you caught much in the last week? I only caught one film. Okay. I caught uh, The Lego Movie Part 2. Oh, which... I, I figured there's a part two. So did I. <laughs> um, and maybe for good reason. Um, it's obviously coming off the back of... I did send you a couple of uh, pictures um, from the Australian uh, Centre of Moving Image. Oh, that's Acme. right. It's the piano uh, from the piano. And yeah, I did get to see the piano. <laughs> obviously, that's some amazing awesome. exhibits. Mostly centred, obviously, around Australian film or right. Australian's contributions to the film industry. It had a... A pained reminder that the first feature film was shot here in Australia, and That's right. how close it was. we were of people <laughs> 60, 70, or 80, 90 years ahead of us were mm. able to lock down this film industry. We might all be in completely different worlds, but <laughs> um, alas. Yeah, so it had really cool things like that. It showed like the evolution of film technology. A lot of the stuff I'd seen... Um, at the Museum of Moving Image in New York. But obviously the the Australian focus was really cool. We got to see a lot of memorabilia and there was something on the Lego Movie because, of course, the Lego Movie was uh, made by an Australian animation company. Right, I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. Um, Oh, yeah, they've got a second part. I've just never, ever watched, despite loving the first film. Right. Yeah, look. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The second film... It's fun. Like, it still keeps that sense of humour um, that the first one does, but obviously doesn't hit any of the emotional notes, mm. I think. Is Chris Pratt still in? Is that the yeah. same cast? Yeah, it's all the same cast. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think its meta-narrative and its self-awareness is gets quite tired quite quickly. It, nah. The second film feels more like a kid's film that adults can't get too much out of. Right, um, whereas right. the first film felt way more accessible to audiences, and I think that accessibility in a in a in a child film is important because obviously yeah. parents. Yeah, well, that's that. probably where the Lord and Miller sort of 
connection comes to I'm sure they were involved in the sequel. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess in terms of having to really prove themselves, and that was, I think, quite early in their... Yeah. I don't want to say careers, but I guess, like, their, their popularity, so to speak, where it was, like, yeah. that, and then eventually Spider-Verse really blew them up, in, at least in the animation department, because yeah. they did, what, 21 Jump Street and all that prior. Yes. So I, I guess there was, like, more for them to prove in that sense, while with the sequel, it... it frankly might have just been more of a financial thing yeah so like, all right well let's just make another kids movie without all the effort to make it appeal to adults as well yeah it essentially is a, a pretty paper thin narrative about mm. two siblings just getting along and playing with each other and accepting each other and um <laughs> okay yeah wasn't nearly uh didn't get much out of it to right. be honest um it was a good way to kill an hour and a half on a plane um, oh i see yes so that's uh, a shame. It's the only plane movie you got in. I know. I know. We had like flights at like two in the morning, so I was mostly asleep. Yeah, on those fair flights. enough. Um, yeah, didn't get a lot, lot of watching it. I downloaded a bunch of stuff. I was going to watch that new animation film. The that dropped. Oh, it's Net- a new Netflix one. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, Let me see if I can find what it's called. It's probably my. No, it it's is not, called. It's not that. Um, Nimona. Nimona. That's it. Because um, it's got a very nice rating on. On the old letterbox. Uh, on the old letterbox. And yeah, no, yeah I like the uh, voice cast for it. Mm. It's got some really interesting ones in there. I think Riz Ahmed's in it. So that's oh, cool. cool. Um, yep, Riz Ahmed and Chloe Grace Moretz. Hey, so, very nice. Um, probably working. we'll give that a watch. Netflix does have a really good track record with uh, Netflix animation films. Mm. You know, we've, I Lost we've, My Body. I was going to say, I Lost My yeah. Body, Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Yeah. So. Um, although Netflix has been letting us down in the last, I'd say the last couple of years, it's animation has always held true. So, mm. um, oh, and Apollo 10 and a half. Oh my God. Yes. Of course. Yeah. So, which um, is a little relevant to, I think it takes place in the same year as Dial of Destiny. There you go. So we'll that's all I caught in the last week. No, that's fair enough. Now, before I get into these rewatches, so I, I rewatched all of the Indiana Jones films yep. in the last week or after, after Raiders, I rewatched Temple of Doom, Last Crusade. King with a Crystal Skull. Um, I don't know if it's worth... Should we just jump into it all right now? Or should we should we do our career updates first and then um, tie it into the, maybe, the latest film? Maybe maybe just talk about them now, do the okay. career updates, and we'll go. No go trouble. There. All right, well, let, let's do this chronologically. Now, you've obviously seen all these as well. Yes. I don't know how recently you've seen um, most Not of them. too long ago. I, bought, I, got, I remember when Sanity was closing down, I got like the box oh, set nice. for like... 15 bucks on Blu-ray and I watched them all. So that's like two years ago. Yeah. So pretty fresh. I almost did buy a Blu-ray box set of all, because I've only got Raiders on Blu-ray, but I'm like, well, they just released the new one. Let me wait a few months mm. and I could probably get all five in one box set. Yeah. Um, so I almost I've did I watched that the first too. three like religiously. Okay. So, so you're pretty familiar with that. Yeah. That's good. So I, not as familiar. I think I watched these all like once when I was 13. Mm. maybe 14 um and i was obviously off the hype of of my love for uncharted playing those games in like 20 i think 20 2010 is when i yep. like started playing i played the first two and then the film was coming out um yeah look i think do you want me to give you my ranking sure of the four i think that's a good way to start this conversation so i so when it comes down to raiders or last crusade i can't tell you which is my favorite <laughs> They're both fantastic films. Yeah, I generally can't. And I think part of that has to do... I was actually talking to Steven, friend of the show, about this. 
I think he mentioned the reason there's such a um, debate between those two is that they kind of represent different things for what people want out of these films. Yeah. And Last Crusade focuses a bit more on like Indy's history. We learn a bit about him as a character. We learn about the context of him and his father, that relationship, and how maybe the need for approval from his father maybe influenced yeah. a lot of his career up until that point. Um, and then there are other people that, that like Indy as just a mis- mysterious kind of like an old western and we talked about raiders is kind of like a western in some ways and the fact that yeah. the character has no backstory so i understand why people they want different things out of it and that maybe determines which is their favorite um but that being said i i'm i'm a little baffled because like they're both fantastic films yeah so what what was so what's your takeaway from the whole backstory and and Indy's dad being involved and their relationship. Oh, I've always loved it. It's so I always good. loved. I always liked the way that, um, obviously, watching them younger, you don't really have an understanding of the actors being involved. Like I didn't really know anything like about Sean Connery, Sean Connery yeah, aspect, the, the Bond stuff. It, he to me, obviously, this is the thing. You know, you were talking about like the. I think you were talking about before the show the fact that it's bombing and and the fact that. Because people just don't know who Harrison Ford is. This right. film, not to talk too much about the film of the week, but it's interesting because it's like you know you grow up with things like Sean Connery, and it's like I just grew up with him as oh that was Indiana Jones's dad more than <laughs> James Bond. You know, all yes. I remember is oh Junior, Junior. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Stop calling me Junior. Um, and and I remember them in the motorcycle with the That's, little sidecar. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's good. Like. So much fun. And he's uh, got the big smile and his dad's just like not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> and all the chaos they've caused. Um, and I, I think that film is just so good because, yeah, it does have a lot of the puzzles. It pretty much has everything that it... it for a third film of yes. that series, it ties everything that was good about the first two films and just mm. dial and cultivates it so well yeah and you know we can talk about whether there should have been a fourth and a fifth one because i feel like it's such a neat bow it is a very neat bow yeah um literally riding off into the sunset (laughs) i think it's baffling to me but um it's is what i like about that yeah that third film is i feel like it takes everything from those first two films and then it adds it elevates it with a lot of the storytelling stuff, like the the puzzle solving stuff, definitely yeah. goes to that next level when they're yeah. trying to find the tomb and they're trying to work it out. And it kind of threw me off how little of that there was in the first two. Yeah. So you know when they're in the the church or I guess the library that used to be a church, they find the big X on the floor and even just all the puzzle solving underneath. It's like, yeah, this is great. Like because for me, this is just uncharted in yeah. a lot of ways. And it's like it's surprising that it's this late in the franchise that we're really getting that much puzzle solving. Which yeah was all was all fun and I love that and the and it's it's funny because you know we can talk about them all in retrospect in the second yes. half of the show but yes that the puzzle solving that's the strength and that's something that maybe should have been considered when you've got an aging star right perhaps yeah. leaning that into maybe that isn't side. as physical sure um, well I mean even just the dichotomy here between him and his dad where it's like he's the more physical one, but the dad has like more inventive ways to solve problems. Like when, when there's all the seagulls yeah. or the, all the birds, whatever, and he's using the umbrella to get them to fly into the, the, the aircraft. And it's like using like wits instead of, yeah. uh, instead of the fitness. And it's, yeah, exactly. That's something that could have been 
maybe used a bit more in some of the recent entries yeah <laughs> of this franchise but yeah even the and, and this is the other funny thing we're going to segue from this to, to temple of doom um which is not necessarily the next film in my ranking which i will get into um the return of the tongue-in-cheek interpretation of the nazis and like there's literally a scene where he comes face to face with the fuhrer and he signs his name in the yeah. book and Oh, it's 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 great, and it feels like the perfect continuation of Raiders in that sense, which of course leaves us with, I guess, a bit of a black sheep in the trilogy, the prequel Temple of Doom, which I forgot it was a prequel. Yeah, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, and and which, which kind of serves what you would think Indiana Jones is back in the day of like, oh, we're just gonna have like a bunch of these, like the '30s adventure serials. We're just gonna have a bunch of random situations, and oh, maybe it makes a bit more sense to to make it a year back in time, so the Nazis aren't as prevalent in this timeline. So even the villains are yeah, just different. different. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means for short round. Did, is he, did he die in 1935? Why, why is he not in the others? It's, it's actually weird, yeah, because, you know, especially with, you know, the renaissance of his career, it would have been funny for him to pop up in the fifth Indiana Jones film, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think there were rumours, but I don't I don't think they would have went back to do reshoots to, to use him, no. but you're right, it, it, it might have been a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. In the, you just have it, just a shot of him sitting on an island with his Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, it gets very meta. I love it. Um, oh, there's so many jokes we can do about Dark Destiny in a minute. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get to them in a second. But yeah, I I thought it was very wildly. It's it's the wildest film in the franchise yeah. by far, at least from Spielberg's entries. Um, and I, I mean, some of the elements in it are just so sadistically dark. Yeah, because like the whipping and and the slavery and there's possessions and the hearts getting ripped out of chests and stuff. And I understand like the critical and commercial response to it was a little more lukewarm, I guess in part because of that. And actually, I didn't realize this, this isn't the reason the PG thirteen rating exists is because of this film and Gremlins. Just I guess in terms of the tone, it was just yeah. like a bit darker than you would expect the adventure kids film to be. So I think that threw me off, but even more so what threw me off was just that I was bored for a big chunk of it. The yeah. final act, the big sort of action-y set piece from underground into the, the car and then the bridge, like that's all phenomenal action sequencing and directing and just absolutely brilliant. Everything that leads up until that, I'm just like, I don't care about the romance mm. because I know a year later he's going to like be with Marion. So I know it's going to go nowhere. And I get that it's your serial aspect of it. It's the girl of the week scenario. Yeah. I get that. But there was a point when they were going back and forth. For the, oh, you're going to be in my bedroom in the next five minutes. No, you're going to be in my bed in the next five minutes. And they're just sort of pacing in their own bedrooms, like waiting for each other to... And I know at least to the assassin trying to jump Cindy. But that whole time's like, this is such a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the like, one fil- out of those three films, it just doesn't grab me in the same way. Because like you said, the no. action set piece, it's such an action set piece heavy film. Yeah. Borderline John Wick level. Of just like, <laughs> we're just throwing action set pieces. Like we're thinking of creative ways for, and I get it. It's like the American James Bond aspect. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, even the opening's very James Bond-esque. Yeah, always the suits, the poison. Yeah. With the, you know, turning the, the using the gong as a shield, like the rolling <laughs> gong. It's like, yeah, it's just cheesy, you know, yeah. and it's like, that's fine. But like you said, it, it's, I think why people lean to the other two films is, yeah, maybe it has those moments of, 
of sort of the softer moments are moments that have like beauty in it. It's that mm. silhouette shot in Raiders where, you know, the, the diggers are just digging away or even when he lowers himself into the tomb and he's working that stuff out, it feels like we're building towards something. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Temple of Doom feels very much like the minecart ride. You're just <laughs> going along for the ride. Yeah. And he's really just weathering the storm. And it doesn't feel like it's building to an, an arc. I mean, the other it's kind of hard because it's pillared between finding the Ark of the Covenant yes. and finding the Holy Grail. Yes. What's the artifact that we're finding in Temple of Doom? Yeah, exactly. Well, like in terms, of, you're right. It's ties to Christianity, and, yeah. and in particular, like the Nazis being the villains trying to find it. It's like it's kind of abandoned all of those, which is perfectly fine. If you're going to do that, do it in your second film to establish that all these ventures are going to be wildly different. Of course, they're not. Because the majority of the indie films now are based on Nazis and uh, artifacts based in Christianity and all of that. But what I found particularly interesting, like you said, and this really kind of ruins the consistency of the films, not that it's a big deal, but this is the prequel, as in this is the first entry chronologically in the story of Indiana Jones. Yes. Now, by the time we get to Last Crusade... The, the marriage at the end of Crystal Skull, especially Dar Destiny. Like, you've established that this is a kind of a continuing story. Yeah. Where Indiana Jones is growing as a character. So you have the arc in this one where he learns by the end of the story to return the artifact to the native people who are using it to protect their community. And, and you have that whole arc. And he even jokes. There's a line where he's, he's like, oh, we'll just end up in a museum. Which is meant to be funny, because, oh, well, that goes against the it belongs in a museum line that he has in every other movie. But then each movie's different. And then in Raiders, he does want it to be in a museum. And then in in Last Crusade, he does want it to be in a museum. But then then that changes too, when he he values his own life and his relationship with his dad over the cup. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. And, And that's not really Temple of Doom's fault. But then again, it is, because it's a prequel. So, like, the the lessons that he's learning in Temple of Doom aren't carried over into the next story that's yeah. chronologically told. I mean, especially when the opening scene is him literally taking a statue from native people. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so similar as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, look, that, that's that's a bit nitpicky. Yeah. Because that, that's just Indiana Jones... It gets and it gets yeah. odd, too, because I think that message gets kind of... Like, that line that is so iconic... Yeah feels more like it's a line that has no substance by the time it gets to the fourth and the fifth film because uh, things just happen in the fourth and the fifth film that are just genuinely like head scratchy but yeah continue Jake I'm really enthralled by your uh, (laughs) talking because you're oh wait you're up to Crystal Skull I'm up to Crystal Skull and um I don't think this is the worst film in the franchise whoa which out of the first four um, I'd say out of the first four, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have a think about where Dar Destiny ends up in the, the later, later. But out of the first four, I walked away from Crystal Skull being like, I actually think I enjoyed this more than Temple of Doom. Like I said, Temple of Doom, I spent a good chunk of the runtime kind of bored. Okay. And I wasn't even thinking about like the, the racist implications of Temple of Doom. That, it's fine. It's whatever it is. Um, it was the 80s. It was the right. 80s. It's fine. I think Crystal Skull, I think... It, Indiana Jones is such a similar arc, not the character, but like the, the franchise, yeah. to George Lucas's Star Wars, in which that there was a trilogy made by the filmmakers in, you might argue, their prime yeah. in the 70s slash 80s, and then they had another go around, 
you know, Lucas made another Star Wars trilogy. Spielberg's like, I'm going to direct one more Indiana Jones, a couple of decades removed, in an entirely different, um, like the 50s sci-fi B-movie yeah. thing, entirely, converted to an entirely different era, which I think is is awesome. And I, I kind of wish there was more of that in Dial of Destiny. We can get into that. But, and then finally, both those creations were gobbled up by Disney in an acquisition, and then they, Disney did their versions. And I think especially for Star Wars, and I think we're going to see it with Indy now, there is a bit of a, maybe maybe we were too harsh on the prequels, maybe we were too harsh on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I mean, you can meme the film to death, the the, the fridge, the um the rocket sled at the start of the film that, that blast Indy out of the initial, um I guess the warehouse, yeah. or I guess it's like government facility, it's not a proper warehouse, yeah, like, yeah I, don't, I really don't know. Like, all of those 50s technological marbles and weaponry that indy has absolutely no right to survive any of those things (laughs) can you can if you ignore those things it's a great like i found a lot of the quips quite fun a lot of the action quite fun a lot of the sets quite fun there's one of the one of the gravestones they rob i think they actually find the actual skull i was like this is like a great set like everything looks so tangible and, and i love all the foliage coming down um I love, like I said, I love the conversion to the 50s sci-fi thing, where it's like you got the Greaser characters, you got Shia LaBeouf, which I didn't think was that annoying. I'm glad he didn't, like, continue the franchise. I'm, just, I'm glad that it's a one and done. <laughs> well, <laughs> that said. that's interesting. Isn't mm. it? That's that's interesting. I kind of wish we had just picked a better, not Shia LaBeouf. I wish we right. could. Right, a, a well, different we'll successor. About, <laughs> I wish we could use the Dial of Destiny to pick an actor that would not get can't <laughs> do what he does yeah it's tough exactly. stuff is because he was flavor of the day in that he time. was he absolutely was the so, transformers of it all and so it's like if that film's made five years later we might get someone else we might get yeah. chris pratt we might have actually got chris pratt and it's five years later damn <laughs> that would have worked so well actually like oh goodness yeah look i'm not going to sit here and like defend that and i also understand like the whole marion returns and is is the the mother and like that's all kind of wedged in there. I get it. But it doesn't really bother me because the actual adventure itself, I loved a lot of the set pieces. It flows a lot better than I remember it flowing. And the ending in terms of the aliens of it all. I By the way, I love like the Red Scare communism stuff that from the 50s they implemented yeah. here. Like all the political commentary, it, it's such a perfect conversion from Adventure 30 serials. That I was like, I just love that they committed to that. Um. I, I enjoyed so much of it, and even the ending with the aliens is like that didn't that didn't seem so crazy to me. I mean, all of these films end with crazy sci-fi elements attached to them. So I think, look, I'm not saying it's like the greatest film ever made. No. There are problems <laughs> with the film. I just think, in terms of an, an adventure romp, it's I think it's still enjoyable. It's very watchable. Yep. And if you ignore some of the crazy like the fridge like i i don't know how you could possibly defend that whatever but between that and the continuation of of what these films represent in terms of being odes to older classics and b movies i think it did a pretty decent job at a lot of those things yeah now you can you can respond to me however you like <laughs> no i i actually look and we can Maybe maybe this is an opportune moment to switch into 
career updates and then maybe we can jump back on my right. response when we start talking about oh interesting Destiny. so it's kind of tied to yeah i think it kind of has to be because now we've got the, con- the compare and contrast yeah of it used to be compare crystal skull to the original trilogy and now it's kind of like well we have the disney version we have three errors really exactly we yeah. do we do and arguably now we probably could even put crystal skull with those those original three, I know that's mm. crazy to think about, but they are all Spielberg they films. They are all Spielberg films, exactly. So, for better or worse, they technically are all from the same auteur. I will say, if anyone else... If, if you had the script of King of the Crystal Skull and someone other than Spielberg directed it, I think that takes away a huge amount of the props that I'm giving it. I see like a lot of his direction shines through in those action scenes. Yeah. Other yeah. than Shire swinging through the forest. That's... The- that's another one of those. There were just a couple. Of, there were that. there were a couple of things like the fridge and the swinging through the forest yeah. and the, the obscenely CGI ants and stuff. And you're just yeah. like, you sit there and you want to be like, it was like with Lucas with the prequels. You want to be like, all right, Stephen, that's enough. Can you just <laughs> can you just enough. can you just be a little bit more chill and realistic? Because yeah. I guess at the you end can of use the... all this stuff in Tintin. You did that two years ago. Well, that's the thing. Oh my god, we can talk about Tintin. Oh my. Yeah, going from Crystal Skull to Tintin in just three years. Yeah. Ooh. But then that's that's where the animation comes in. Because I think a big part of Crystal Skull is just the visuals of it. Where yeah. it's not as like gritty and as real. and it, like, it was shot on film. Isn't it frustrating but... we got another Indiana Jones film and not another Tintin film? I know. I know. Hey, maybe we get a Tintin 2 in, in the next few years. Maybe. Maybe the trajectory. It had to be directed by someone else, though. You don't think it'd be done by... Well, only if we, like, follow this trajectory here. But I yeah. would I would hope and love for Spielberg to direct Tintin 2. Yeah, if there it you ever, go. If it ever does happen. Would you like to talk about some career updates, Jake? Yeah, so we, we started talking about this off the show. Yes. And then we realised we should probably talk about it on the show. Yes. Um, but in the last week, well, I specified last weekend... I participated in my very first ever 48-hour film challenge. So what is that? So we had a group of us, though actually two groups, and I'll talk about why this was such a great idea in a moment to have two different groups sort of working alongside each other, sharing equipment and and making our schedules sort of align together. But ultimately, in competition, dare we say, a bunch of us from these two different groups got... Keywords, I think one was for an archetype, one was for a genre, I think one was an, an, a prop or an item, and we had to use those to to uh, craft or, excuse me, write, cast, shoot, edit, color, and, and mix a full short film. They ended up being about six and a half minutes, five to six minutes, uh, within 48 hours from, I think, 8 p.m. Friday to 8 p.m. Sunday. And, whew. It insane. Was, it was insane. Now, because you were on your trip, unfortunately, you cannot participate in this. No, I could not. We'll absolutely get you on to the next one. Yeah. But it it was a lot of fun. And I, and I was sort of in my adult mode grumpy, like, oh, I don't have time for this. Uh. But I'm glad I did commit to it. Uh, I did come in at the Sunday, uh, sorry, the Saturday morning. So I wasn't there to write the idea. I essentially got there. Here's the scripts. We've already started setting up, you know, our location and uh, away we go. So as I was the editor, so I spent most of the time locked away editing clips, putting it all together in Premiere, and then someone will come with an SD card of like, here are the new dailies, and, and I'll implement those. Which, like, I've always, like, pictured that in my mind. of like, oh, be, that'll be so cool. 
but I think I've lately been really enjoying being on set. Yeah. So I was only on set for a few hours and then kind of had to run to start editing. I was like, I kind of want to go back. Um, and it wasn't a very social. Uh, obviously, I would leave time to time and get food and like oh, a couple of us might go to Dome for a minute and like chat and see other things going on. But up until the last few hours when everyone else is virtually done with their part and you're all just kind of hanging out in the room together editing, I was a little like, oh, it's a bit lonely. I kind of miss. Maybe it would serve to have like a like a week long challenge. Yeah, where we all get a bit more sleep and and more True. hands can be on. But set. it's like the beauty of the forty eight hour challenge. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's it's, it's eight pm on a Friday. Did you say it's yep. eight pm on a Sunday? Yes, yes. Is that your weekend right there? Yeah. I mean, for the people working five days a week like yourself, I mean that's mm-hmm. a perfect opportunity. Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of sleep, a lot of rest, but that's true. You walk out with a with a product, don't well, you? Well, that's it, and like you, yeah, that's a good point. Because if you if you stretch it out, then it because, like, it's it's more of an excuse to sort of abandon it in yeah. some ways. Um, and I and I guess a trick, and not not to call anyone in particular, but one of the two films, there was some extra VFX work that was like, oh well, here's the film, here's what we were managed to achieve in in forty eight hours, but we just want to tidy up a couple of shots before we like start showing some of our friends, and it took almost a week before that got done and yeah. even then they weren't completed shots so i think you're right in terms of it being like a very very tight 48 hour like we're all very motivated and yeah. energized and like it's you know it's like a, i guess an athlete where you just kind of have to hone in for that that small period of time where like you're on and the game's on and you got to win yeah absolutely you can use all of your energy in that short span of time so i think you're right it does serve to do the 48 hours because you do walk away with a product at the end and what I was very proud about our film was that it was it was very clean. There was no shot list, but we got the biggest compliment afterwards in that it looked like there was shot lists. Yeah. Um, it was great. I, I got to watch it. You did, yeah. Brag yeah. about it. Oh, um, I'm glad you liked it. No, yeah, I got to watch it. I think I was on... What was I on? Was I on a bus or something? Yeah, I was on a bus to Harndorf in Adelaide and I watched it. <laughs> Just there, I was like, I'm going to put my headphones in and watch this for yep. like six minutes. It was really cool because it does. It, I'm crazy. That's crazy to me. There's no shot list. That just goes to show everyone on set had a very clear idea of what basic forms of coverage they needed. Mm, yes, um, we had a friend of the show Abby who was directing it, so I I think she was very stressed out at the lack of a shot list. But in terms of how we shot it, you're right. It was a very clear view of like okay, in terms of just covering the scene because most of it is a big dialogue scene around a pool table. Yeah. So there are those consistency things of like okay, it's cool that they're around a pool table because it gives them something to do while talking and it's visual and you can play within the edit. But then there's the consistency problems. And I think the way we dealt with it was like, okay, if we shoot it in this way, we can more or less get rid of a lot of the um, continuity problems that could arise. But in terms of covering it, let's get this angle, this angle, this angle, this angle. And what was great is that a lot of those more interesting, fancy shots, and there were quite a few in there already, but a lot of the ones that we were like, oh, this is such a great shot we just shot again on the Sunday because yeah. I was able to do an assembly edit and we could see what it looked like with the coverage we had. And we're like, okay, well, we have enough time to go back and do this moment from this angle instead yeah. or do this interesting shot and interweave it here. So I I think between that and especially right at the end, those last few hours of just like vigorously going through the edit and making sure there weren't any like jarring jumps or cuts or anything like that. Yeah. There's stuff in there that's not perfect. That's the nature of the 48-hour challenge. Yeah. But for the most part, I think it cuts together really nicely. But the thing is, the thing, isn't it? It's that pressure makes diamonds situation. Yeah, it's the, absolutely. 
it, what it is is it's a, basically it's an exercise in which a bunch of creative people do in order to um, yeah continue harnessing their skills working collaboratively and or and generating ideas and creativity that wouldn't come if they thought about things too much mm. and that's sometimes I think we do that sometimes we we have to we're so meticulous and we're trying we're so you know, we're told when we go through film school and we're learning to make films and everything's got to be planned out meticulously yeah. and yeah. Oh well, we've pre-production's got to go for four months or five months. Um, pre-production went on for like twelve hours on this, but on this short film. And yeah. the funny thing is, it's like, yeah, look, the product's not per. Like, if you compared it to a film that had a budget of five, six thousand dollars, or even two, three thousand dollars, yeah, it's probably that film might be better. But the emphasis is mm. might be better. It might not mm. be better. Yeah. It might be very similar. Well, I the, um, the line I used, I think I told this to Abby, and th- this was like as we were getting close to finishing the edit, I said, if I showed this to Kirsty, who was vigorously involved in, in Skin and Blister, and obviously that was tons and tons of, of prep and finding locations, and then six days of shooting or six nights of shooting, very vigorous, tough nights of shooting, and then all the posts that we've been doing, I could show her where Skin and Blister's at and then show her this 48-hour film. And as someone who's who's been around but doesn't really, you know, as a very general audience uh, film goer, I should say, I said to her, I'm like, I reckon she'll barely be, she'll be able, like, why did this only take 48 hours and yep. why did this take six months? Yep. Because we forget that the general consumer just does not think about that stuff as much. We're not, yeah. and we need to teach, we need to keep telling ourselves we're making films for everyone. We're not making films for other filmmakers. Mm. Um, and... I think that's a big difference. You're really just trying to tell a story. It's the method, the methodology, mm. methodology of um, how you go about doing it is is kind of irrelevant, really. It only appeals to you know. We can sit here and talk about oh Spielberg's planning this out and this yep. that, but the reality is the person next to me watching Indiana Jones might think it's a perfectly adequate film, and we're sitting there clawing our eyes out like I mean. It's, <laughs> Or, 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 for, or, or even a, a better example is just that they might not be able to tell that it was a different director. Yeah. They might watch it and say, oh, action romp and it's Harrison Ford and they won't be able to tell the differences in how it was directed. But the other beauty directors. is, you know, you do something like that in 48 hours and you really like the idea you produce, but you know it needs a little bit more refinement. Mm. Is, boom, you've got the proof of concept right there, done. Yeah. Like, you know, they put that on a GoFundMe page or excerpts of it. Yeah. And then you've got something that you've spent the time in and then all you've got to do then is that's how you generate income. That's why I, I was yeah. saying to Luce as I was watching, I was like, so that was a really good idea we come up with, but we want to go back. We want to cast people. We want to redo it. We want to make it more like refine it mm. or, or produce a, a longer narrative. Um, then you've got the proof of concept there that people can watch and go, oh, these people are quite talented. They produce that in 48 hours. Imagine what happens if they get two weeks, yeah. three weeks. No, that's absolutely dead on. And, and that's a perfect way to, to distinguish the two films because I was really proud of ours because it's such a straight, you know, it's the noir genre we do. It's a very classic noir genre, classic noir. It's a film you characters. wish you could have made in high school. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It truly is. Um, and even like little things like because it's in black and white, we didn't really have to color it at all. So it's like a no. whole post-production step. We get to skip in that 48-hour time. But that that's juxtaposed with the other film, which was a much more original idea for like a... The, oh, it's a horror film, but here's like the here's like the thing that makes it unique. And what I went was to, it? Was it horror? What was their three words? Um, their three words were... I know the prop was phone. 
I think it was like phone technology and streaming. I think those were the words. So that went together very well for them. Yeah. <laughs> but what I and I don't want to spoil it because that's to your point. I think their film is a perfect example of wow, like this is a really clever idea for a feature like horror film. I never thought of this before. And here is a perfect little, you know, quickly produced five minute segment that you give to someone to fund the whole thing. Yep. And that, that's something I would watch and be like, oh my God, that would be a brilliant feature film. That's it. While, you know, with ours, like, I'm I'm proud of what we did with it. It's a, it's a nice genre piece, but it's not something that gets me excited about doing a feature version of yeah. it. So it's two different ways to go about the 48-hour challenge. And, and to your point, I think it's so exciting that now there is something tangible and presentable. I think I think it was an idea Ollie had for a while. He'd been saying something he wanted to do for a long time. So now, now he literally has it. And he can do that. He can present it to people or maybe reshoot it yeah. as like a higher budget short or even a feature. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was excellent. I learned a lot, even just in my small time of, of editing on that film. Yeah. And I mean, it's the, that's the thing. It's, you know, we, we try and we say it to ourselves and it's sometimes hard to, to always, to, to constantly practice, but mm. we only really uh, ever get better if we keep applying ourselves. Yeah, that's exactly um, it which is easier said than done, but those sort of challenges or those sort of uh, contextual sort of activities that you can do and tasks that you can give yourself, that's the best way to do it, really. Because you, hmm. you start working with everyone in a professional capacity more often too, which yeah. means when it comes to making another budget, like, you know, decent budget short film, yeah. you're that little bit more in sync with it, everyone too. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that helps so much was you're right, the tight energy of forty only having forty eight hours to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's like George Lucas said in the Spielberg documentary, where he said a lot of them were just trying to impress each other. Yeah. Him and Spielberg and De Palma and, and the all like the whole it was Scorsese, all the whole clan. They're just trying to make films to impress each other. And I think that was a big part of the energy from this forty eight hour thing is like having two groups and two films and we didn't really know what each other's films were about until we saw them, there's that element of we just want to impress each other. Yeah. You know, we want to do the best job to make them have a good time and enjoy the product and then we're going to enjoy their product. It was exciting from that aspect. So, yeah, exactly. Getting in sync with them and and, and having a good time with them and hopefully making more movies with them. Excellent. The well, thing. count me in for that next 48-hour oh, challenge. Most definitely. But it's time for us to move into the film of the week. Jake, what are we watching? This we're going to show Zeke. We're watching Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. Why need to get out of here? Stop! Sorry. Helena! Dr. Jones, get him. Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. 
Listen to your seatbelt. There might be some turbulence. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. Indy! Give him hell, Indiana Jones! A few times in my life I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times, including once by your father. Ah, sorry. But I've been looking for this all my life. Finding himself in a new era, approaching retirement, Indy wrestles with fitting into a world that seems to have outgrown him. But as the tentacles of an all-too-familiar evil return in the form of an old rival, Indy must don his hat and pick up his whip one more time. I love that before you started reading that logline, Zeke, you furiously took your jacket off and rolled up your sleeves. I did. I was ready to go. <laughs> You're ready to go. I was ready to go. <laughs> Zeke. Yeah, I, I saw this film a couple of days ago. You saw this film earlier today. I did. We don't know what... I mean, we uh, we can guess, I suppose. Yeah. I haven't even logged the film on Letterboxd yet because I, I wanted to wait until the conversation, flesh it out a bit more. <laughs> what did you think of, of The Dial of Destiny, Zeke? Um, uh, look, I thought... Because it was James Mangold. Yes, who I think um, is an excellent choice to direct an Indiana Jones film. There's a lot of films from... James Mangold that I am actually a big fan of. I don't mind Ford v Ferrari. Logan, I'm of course. Really love Logan. I love Walk the Line. Three Ten to right, Yuma. He did Walk the Line. He did. Oh my god. Three Ten to Yuma. The Wolverine is okay. I haven't seen the Wolverine. Um, Nine and Day. I saw that a long time ago. Yeah, I can't <laughs> Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. <laughs> so you know, look, there's enough films there that I'm like Mangold. I associate it with good films. Right. Um, Very competent director. Experienced director. Yeah. yeah, and look, I think that, yeah, an appropriate director to take up the Spielberg realm. This is, you know, a man who's got experience, clearly respects Spielberg's art form, mm. wants to do right by it. Um, and you were talking about how you... Maybe we should soften ourselves on Crystal Skull, and and I do think there are, that film has problems, but uh, I think they're pale in comparison to the film that I just watched. Um, mm. I, I for me, I just I made a joke about the Dial of Destiny and and winding back the clock and recasting Shia LaBeouf. Oh yeah, um, and I actually I want to stick by that from a critical point of view because I really think. Sometimes the context of the acting world or the or, or that biome does affect the films like this because mm. I think the ending of Crystal Skull was so clear. Like you said, these films were originally meant to be serials. That was the idea, was they yep. were meant to be these obscure, plucked-out events, just like James Bond, no, very yep. through... Only this this new Daniel Craig Bond kind of has that th- through A bit narrative. more of a through line, yeah. But uh, even then, they're going to reset the clock in, in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. and the serialised, that sort of serialised narrative. And the idea was obviously to have them all a little bit more um, 
obviously they kind of threw that out of the window by the time they got to Last Crusade. But sure. um, yeah, I, I think that four because it had su- it was such a story heavy plot. It was about yeah. the relationship between Marion and Indy being reconciled, and the fact that he had a son and he learned yeah. how to be a good father. Which, to be honest, very good sequel idea mm. following Last Crusade. Yeah, makes sense. He he's he's the- now in the father role when he was originally like the son yeah. role starting to understand that, you know, he learned to love his dad, but now he's trying mm. to really, you know, he's so much like his dad mm. um, and he's trying to not be in that sense or at least be uh, as affectionate eventually as, as Sean Connery was by the end of Crusade. And I think the fact that this film, because of events, has just disregarded that really hinders the film. Mm. Um, and Star Wars had the same problem. How do we acknowledge the prequels in this new trilogy? Yeah. And this has kind of got the same thing of to what extent do we have to acknowledge Crystal of the Kingdom Skull? And I and I think they kind of... They really had two clear roads and they kind of took neither. Where yeah. it's like, let's ignore it completely. Which they didn't because, of course, Marion and Mutt are both mentioned, at least in the film. Yep. Um, we'll get into the ending a bit later. Uh, and the other one is to kind of commit to its ideas, which again it doesn't because they're mentioned, but no more. Yeah. Oh, uh, died off screen. Oh, divorced, missing. And they, these are all elements that are brought up very early in the film. These aren't massive spoilers or anything. No. We'll, we can get into that. No, and and they're kind of irrelevant, really, because they are we, irrelevant, we, we, yeah. because you know we knew ahead of time Charlotte Buff wasn't going to be in this, so everyone presumed he's probably going to be killed off, like. Right. There's that presumption. Yeah, the whole maid, you know, having the Marion aspect to it. You know, she is divorced because mm. of that, and, and fair enough. I mean, she's a what service does she have in the plot? I mean, right. I think her character didn't have to be. Uh, I don't think Indiana Jones like Indy has to be isolated at the start of this film in that sense. Right. Like, he could have had a perfectly good relationship where they're both struggling in their marriage, but. Because of the death of their son, but they didn't have to be—he didn't have to be completely isolated. I find that such a—it was such a irrelevant point. Yeah. Like the whole point should be he's struggling with the fact of retiring. Like he's yes. old, he's grumpy, and he's looking back on yesteryear. You know, and I, I find that to make him completely and utterly isolated was pointless. You know, it's mm. almost like making him that for the sake of. I don't know, some form of garner some sympathy and then there's this goddaughter that's never existed before <laughs> is now existing because her father was in the, the prologue of this film. <laughs> um, Not even World War Two, just was just in the prologue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the and yeah. I, there's just so much about this film that I sit there and I go like, Oh I, Antonio Banderas shows up again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I just this franchise for mm. me has become it's a it really is a dead property it feels like it's kind of how i feel about star wars to a certain extent mm. i feel like it's it's nothing more than beating it and i guess star wars had a little bit more to tell but even now i'm a bit i'm so fatigued by it but indiana jones like you said people don't even know sometimes don't even know who harrison ford is in terms mm. of indiana jones and Maybe this franchise is dead. And that's not a bad thing. That They end. Like, franchises can just end. We don't have to keep going back to yeah. the... Well, the... Well, the bad thing is that they just keep reviving them. And I don't know why Harrison Ford 
who seems like he, uh, if there's any actor in the world who had such such a, a glorious career so many characters synonymous with the zeitgeist and and film culture and nerd culture and everything it's harrison ford why does he keep having to bring these characters back from the dead yeah he looks so grumpy and tired and done with it all and i love him for it but why does he have to bring back blade runner why does he have to bring back indiana jones and star wars like leave him alone man but i think i think what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me because my big takeaway from this film was it's a massive film. It's easily the biggest Indiana Jones film. I know on paper that sounds like, wow, it's the biggest adventure yet. Let's go. Yeah. And it's not even just the length. It's like 30 minutes longer than the longest indie film, which I think was Last Crusade. Um, it's well over two and a half hours long, which is way too long way too for long. an indie film. Um, we can get into that. But it's just like the number of sets, number of characters, numbers of, of scenarios. Just the ending, like just the concept of the ending and, and the big set piece towards the air is like so, so, so much further than any of the other films have gone. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it, we actually get to see the the artifact, the titular artifact mm, play out completely. Yeah, exactly. And uh, not not just a 20 second thing that melts people's faces, but we... Or turns we, someone to dust. Exactly. Yeah. We, we see it, you're right, legitimately played out for for quite a long sequence of, yeah. of the film. And I think all of that in mind, yeah, it obviously doesn't automatically make it the best or the worst film that it is the biggest, but I, I think my takeaway is, like you said, there's so many things in the film that just didn't need to be in there. And it doesn't even extend to, like, the complicated resolution of um, what happened to Marion and the son and and just kind of comp- making that all a bunch of driving questions that have to get answered throughout the film. But for me, it was just Indy's motivation entirely. He has, like, four different motivations for the journey of this film. And for me, there was very clearly only one they really needed to do to properly continue the arc of these other films. So you got, and I, I guess we're kind of itching into spoilers now in terms of how the adventure starts, but yeah. one of the motivations is he's framed for murder, which was so, so silly, yeah, so unnecessary. I didn't even understand, because they linger on the bloody... He grabs the phone, and then he puts the phone down, and there's blood on it. He, like, touched, I, but he touches I, the blood. I don't... I Yeah, that... It's also weird, because he's so clearly in his 70s, and he's like... I'll go to prison. And you want to be like, okay, but like, you're really, you're really old. Like what's, <laughs> what, what's, what's the stakes? Like you said, you, these authentic stakes just yeah. don't exist. There's a bunch of, I'm sitting here in my head and I'm going, is this film on par with Uncharted? Like in terms of oh, wow. its messiness. I really like think it's, it's that, that messy. Yeah. It's messy. Yeah. The set pieces are probably better. There's less cutting and there's some creativity aspects to it. I don't even care about the CGI face stuff. I really don't care about it. Oh, I've talking... got things to say about all the CGI in this film. Um, but the messiness, you know, there are these supplementary characters that get killed off in the middle. These mm. they, they don't really make any sense. Like, Mads Mikkelsen's character is just one-dimensional, but also messy. Like, mm. the, even the logline, an old rival, it's like... He was the doctor that they got his face punched in. They didn't even know each other. Not yeah. really. They were both kind of like, I kind of recognize you, but I... Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't I like in the, the, the first one where it's like, you know, they recognize each other off the first, the, off the bat. Like, yeah. they've been doing this back and forth in Raiders or 
even Donovan in Last Crusade. Yeah, a yeah. Pre- that's a much better example of like a, a a person from his past. Yeah, a long-standing rivalry. Yeah, exactly. And it's like he's the dude on the the train that gets punched. <laughs> And then Indy's punched a lot of people, and it's, I reckon it's yeah. It's like I'm sitting there going like, "Geez, this is this is Casino Royale, Mads Mikkelsen being yeah. reduced to this one-dimensional, boring like idea that for some reason he wants to use the Dala Destiny to kill the Fuhrer because that's the way they win the war." Like, right. it's just so nothing really. Like, I the, all the other characters, they they it's knowledge power, but it's got nothing. They are backed by the Nazis. Yeah. But it's not necessarily about imposing the Nazi will. It's just they're backed by the Nazis. Mm. It's about power for the individual, right. which is the the Hitler logic, um, I guess, like the, the selfishness there. But it just felt very weird, right? Mm. Like it, it felt from the get-go, I was un, like not amused by, oh, this is the villain. This is the great villain right. for this film. Um, and yeah, it just was messy, like uh, having the CIA in there and then they're kind of, Take it apart with it. They're letting people randomly shoot other people and not having any real problems. Yeah, what was it? What was it with him being like? I'm not actually part of the CIA, but I'm yeah, I'm going around just shooting everybody, and it's fine. He's just a mercenary. Like That's, he's a mercenary. It's so yeah. But it's, it's like, so... why would the CIA, who's let this Nazi scientist, yes, take them to the moon, but like, why would they let them have mercenaries who could just kill people? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> like... it's all very strange. Look, I will say about Mads Mikkelsen, first off, great casting, but at this point, pretty obvious casting at, at this rate. Um, and I, I think just the simplicity of that line of he wants this to turn back time because he, he wants to redo Hitler's pathway. He wants to fulfill his wishes, but this time he has the hindsight. So yeah, he like, wants to kill Hitler yeah. and basically become Hitler. It's like, okay, that's fine. Leave it that. That's fine. I yeah. can roll with that. Whatever. That's the motivation for the villain. Let's go. But between Indy's motivation of, of again, the shtick of wanting the, wanting to be in the museum, but then wanting to stay, and we'll, we'll get to the ending, but like wanting to stay, was a whole thing. Um, all of that was so messy when all it needed to do was hone in on the line. There was, a, there was an exchange between him and Phoebe Wallabridge you would chase something that drove your father insane. And she replies, wouldn't you? That should be the basis of his only motivation in the film is, hey, I've already had this arc with my own father in Last Crusade, and I eventually chose family over adventure. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and stop her. Who She's just straight up capitalist. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this in black markets and make as much money yeah. as I possibly can. My job as Indy should be to essentially convert like explain to her hey i've already gone on this arc and, and chasing glory and eventually choosing family and, and that's such a smart way that of should be the it. only motivation yeah. he has in this film it works and it would actually and it would still you know you take the 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 Charlotte buff out of the uh, out of the equation yeah. he's still fulfilling the same arc like you said it's yeah. he's basically you know he was rejecting the responsibility of being a father accepted it by the end of crystal skull yes now he's practicing fatherly principles yes with his goddaughter with his goddaughter which again like i can okay they've wedged it in and oh now toby jones isn't the start like okay sure again they're leaning into the serial aspect of like there's so many indie adventures we didn't see on screen that's fine i can believe that and you're right it's a perfect little window into this is his opportunity to be a father without casting shia labeouf okay i get it but why why did the film constantly feel the need to add all these extra motivations in there as if 
that one singular motivation wasn't in, enough. I think it's that that's the Disneyify, is it? They had mm. to make her into this. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. But then her character to me was a mess in terms of just performance, and mm. I didn't really understand what was the moment where she decided that she was there for Indy. Like, right. And I think that's because we're so confused about trying to appease, and this might be the Disney aspect, trying to mm. appeal to the wider audience. You know, women in, in, in Indiana Jones films have just been sort of the, the love interest, the paramours. Right. They've, I mean, they've always had relatively strong independent characteristics to them. I think Marion yeah. is very independent in that aspect. But yeah, it, it definitely feels like her character just doesn't really... It, it has such a whiplash effect, you know? She's like, oh, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you. And then they're on the boat, she's got the TNT, and yeah. we're sort of at that moment, it's like, why are you changing gears now? Mm. And then the best thing is, like, you know, one of Indy's old friends gets shot, and he goes, one of my old friends was just shot. Oh, sorry. Like, <laughs> it's just so weird. I think what's so weird about it, and I think you're 100% right, it is, the, this is the Disneyfication of Indiana Jones of, okay, well, first of all, I think uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I think that makes, that's casting makes sense. I haven't seen Fleabag, for example. Yeah. But I get that, that she's hot in that regard, in uh, like, oh, this is someone who could be the successor that could draw in an audience. Evidently not. If Harrison Ford can't draw an audience, I don't know if she can. Um, but th- in terms of her, like, sassy personality, quippy. the double-crossing, quippy, yeah. And it's like, I get it. I, I get what they were trying to go for there. And I and like you said, I think mean, they probably looked at all the previous films and like, oh, well, Willie from Temple of Doom, she's annoying. She's a damsel in distress. But it's like, virtually all of the other films... Well, have much more independent women. Yeah. Exactly. Mar- yeah. I mean, we talked about Marion last week. Very. I mean, her introduction is her winning like a drinking game. <laughs> yeah, with like a scorpion. Exactly. And and in the f- the fourth film, I mean, they're they're having that like marriage squabble basically. So they're both as petty and petulant as each exactly, other. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's a strong will. And, and Indy is petty. Like yeah. throughout all the films, he's he acts like a child sometimes. Like he's not. And we kind of point fun. It's like you said, you were talking about in Temple Doom where they're both sitting there like pacing back and forth in their rooms or, <laughs> or when he's like, don't call me junior. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, he's acting like a child or when he has a child, he's acting less mature than his own child. So yeah. I, I just don't think the back and forth, there, there wasn't really any chemistry between the two either. I, I feel like, and that might be to do with Ford's honest, like his decline maybe and sometimes giving a lot of emotion. I, right. I just, I, just... I, look, I'm, I'm always consistently surprised, you know, with the, with force awakens and this, I'm always consistently surprised when I see Harrison Ford in interviews, I'm like, he looks so tight. I know it's like a comedic shtick, how long it takes for him to respond to questions, yeah. his slow delivery. And that when he, when he puts the hat back on and does this film, it's like, Oh, okay. No, he's, he's quite with it still. Yeah. He's still um, with he's it. doing a great job. But I think you're right. I mean, the chemistry's not quite there. I think there's something quite off about... I think it's Helena, her name. Yeah, Helena. Um, in that it's trying to be an ode to some of the other indie girls, quote-unquote. Yeah. But I also find it so weird that, well, you have Karen Allen right there. The original draft for the film, she was way more involved. And I think the Disneyfication is replacing her with a younger, more smart Alec female character yeah. that... Especially because the whole film is centered around her double-crossing Indy multiple times, despite being her godfather. 
taking these artifacts purely for capitalistic gain, she's not the most likable character purely because of those traits. So what's so strange is that she's the one that has the come-to-Jesus moment toward the end of the film where she's the one that convinces Indy, no, don't stay here. You have a family back home. Her arc's very confused. It's the moments like, in which she decides to get invested in Indy's mission and viewpoints, they're, yeah. they're, they're not clear and, and concise. They're not... They're just sort of there. Mm. Like, it doesn't really make sense. You know, she gets the diamonds put in her hand when Mads Mikkelsen's like, I'll just pay you and we can sort this out. Yeah. Like, nothing to that point says that she wouldn't side with him. Like, nothing. There's no sympathy. I, as an audience, like we're obviously meant to be not sure in that moment of time where a like allegiance does, leads, but she does save Indy from the eels yeah. underwater. So there, there is that aspect. I'm not saying that that was like the clear motivation that she's going to portray Mads Mikkelsen. It obviously wasn't. But for me, in terms of tracking her arc of like, okay, well, that, there's a moment I can point to me. Like, All right, this is the start of her. Yeah. And then, you know, she's got her little side kid kid or psychic kid I, I don't remember his name um who's obviously much more individualistic and is like a, a common thief teddy. teddy um and she's telling him like let's ease up or let, let's follow him or he's asking her why are we following this old man so like there are breadcrumbs throughout i'm not saying it's elegantly done at all no. um and that part of the confusion of where her allegiance is is, is like the audience is meant to be confused so like i get all those elements I'm just completely baffled by the fact that clearly the motivation should be Indy is trying to get her, like, turning into a family person yeah. and to understand the risk and dangers. I mean, just look at Uncharted 4. It does it pretty perfectly. Yeah. And guess what? The wife is still in the game. She's in the story. I think it's it's hard. It really is hard to... Uh, I think the concept, the time... As soon as you have a, an artifact that can turn back time, you're also mm. opening yourself up to that sort of storyline, confusing this and sure. scru- scrutiny. Um, they get away with it because they do say that it ultimately was only ever going to go back to 214 BC, that dial. Yes. There is. A, so, te- and the whole deal, um, what was the word he used? Um, not wind was it? What's the word? Um, I forget the word, but basically the, the thing that people wouldn't have understood about the Earth's rotation in 214 BC that caused time travel to not work the way they thought it would. Even the, the magnification in the, in the plane, even though that actually ended up having nothing to do with the reason they ended up in the wrong timeline. But yeah, I think even the timeline stuff didn't, that didn't throw me off. It was, it was no. literally just the arcs. The arcs made no sense. She, I, that felt, that felt very Disney to me is all. She needs to be one that punches Indy in the face and saves him from himself. When yeah. everything about the film leading up into that moment didn't, didn't that didn't make sense? Didn't warrant it. No, I could have done with going, not going back to two fourteen, and having yeah. some massive Greek Roman <laughs> set. But um, I, I think that's for me that there was the mysticism aspect was completely mm. lost when you get to see the 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 element play out to its completion. Right. Um, Actually, live in the time zone yeah. for that for that long. I don't, right? I, I don't know. It was. It just felt cheesy beyond beyond the point of. Uh, I just didn't like it to myself. But um, I think for me, yeah, I can totally agree. The arcs were really confusing. Um, the film would have been really nice to have seen. Obviously, we can't control 
sort of the the moves of Hollywood, but I, mm. I think the film did suffer quite a bit from not having who they intentionally cast to be the spiritual successor, and and that's just a product of the time when they made Crystal Skull. It, it is, but that being said, there are smarter ways to write those characters out of the story. Oh, than them dying. Yeah, yeah. Or no, oh, they just they they went to war and died. Yeah. And now I'm a sad old man because I'm a Disney I agree. character. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I think there, 100% there was. I mean, a simple thing could have been... Another way you could have gone is... Um, is it Mutt? Was it Mutt? Or Mutt? Mutt, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mutt. Mutt goes and looks for some lost, long-lost treasure, dies in the process. Indy goes as his last hurrah to try and piece where his son's gone. Yeah. Well, um, they, they, there you go. There's an arc right there of like, hey, I, I tried to stop my son from going on this adventure. I told him, like, family, like, there's a safer way to do this. Maybe that Maybe... Okay, here you go. Instead of doing Nazis again, yeah, and I, I get what they were trying to do, but like, uh, stop doing that. First off, this is meant to be an ode to a certain period of time and the B-movies of that time. Yeah. So it, it didn't do that at all. It was like, oh, more Nazis. Like, you should have done like 60s comic book superhero or, or zombie horror or spy yeah. thriller like James Bond, which originated in the 60s. So that would have been much more interesting to do in terms of the style of the whole thing. Yeah. But in terms of the villains... And I'm not saying exactly how you tie this all together, but you should have the villains have the personal connection to Indy because they're the ones that killed Mutt. Maybe yeah. Mutt had discovered some sort of artifact of, hey, I know how to get this, but these guys over here, these villains, they're chasing after as well. And maybe Indy was like, hey, that's like that's awesome you found this artifact, but if they're chasing it too, it's not worth the danger, let's not do it. Mutt goes anyway, dies, and now Indy has the personal connection against these villains who are now chasing after the thing that uh, that Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character is now chasing. So yeah, now Hel- he, he has a Helena. So he has a chance to redeem himself as a father by saving his goddaughter. Boom! That's how you do it. Game set match. Sorry, James. <laughs> no, it's true, and I agree. I think you remove the Nazi aspect because it was very confusing to follow. That were these all just was um, Mads Mikkelsen's right. like. Particularly his two henchmen, his two main henchmen. Yes. Were they just... Were they Nazi sympathizers? Were they... um, Because it was very ambiguous. Mm. We assume they kind of were. They were maybe just relative... uh, Like, children of people that were Nazis. And they still believe in the the Third Reich. Followers of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. They believe Um, in Man Mickelson's mission. That makes it even more confusing that the CIA would enable that stuff to happen. Like... (laughs) How did that happen? <laughs> it's the dumbest setup for a film, and I think that after, by the time you get to Morocco, you're like, "This is so dumb." Like, mm. I'm already checking out and clocking out. And the thing, the thing that because I, I my, I guess the pass they got, and I, and I guess the idea is that that he's a Nazi that he, he kept it a secret well enough as he transitioned to America in the no, 50s I mean, it was pretty common. It was it was pretty common for, like, German scientists. Like, there were a lot of those scientists yeah. that were involved with the... and physicists that were involved with the moon landing. But, and, the, and they tie it in pretty well with, yeah, the uh, the space... I mean, like, Polo 10 and a half we talked about earlier, this yeah. idea of this is, the late 60s is a society of people that are looking up to the stars and adventure. And, and yes, Indy's an old man. We see him shirtless yelling at neighbours and he's still digging up artefacts from the ground while everyone else is looking up to the stars. and Like, that makes sense. Yeah. And you're right. It's a cool idea. Of, let, let's focus on some of these... Like, they're not technically neo-Nazis, are they? Because 
they're still traditional it's... Nazis. Yeah. Just sort of, you're right, guys. New age. New, new age Nazis. They got tight jeans now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. just a really lame villain, isn't it? Because it's like you could, there are so many other motivations. Why would you want to go back in time? And mm. it could be, from a villain point of view, not just the killing mutt aspect, but it could be like, oh, well, profiting before the Great Depression hit. My family fortune died before yeah. the Great Depression. Or, or even just knowledge, which is literally what happens to Kate Blanchett's character in, in yeah. King of the Crystal Skull, where she she literally she literally explodes from knowledge. Yeah. She got what she wanted, but died for it. Yeah, you just got to be the, the Biff Tannins of the world, you know? You, just, you need a sport... <laughs> you just want to use it to get a sports almanac. Oh, goodness. Look, I like I said, I don't... that sort of log line of Mads Mikkelsen's motivation. I'm like, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah. But I just, the fact that the Nazis are back at all. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I get the comparison of, of Indy digging up old artifacts, looking at the sky, but it's like the whole space fascination society, they kind of dropped that after the first hour. Yeah. Once it's they start traveling to, to different countries. To enable the parade, basically. Yeah, exactly. That set piece. That's about it. Well, let, let's start talking about all the set pieces. Yeah. That's probably a good segue for it, because there were... Uh, I, I have to talk about the CGI, and, and, and not just the, the denoising, the de-aging of, of Harrison Ford and that, but... And Matt my, Mickelson. And, yeah, that's true. Actually, I did, I did notice that as well. The I was so thrown off from very early on, because not only was I getting... I was getting thrown off by the, the deep fake Harrison Ford thing, and I, credit where credit's due... It's not the traditional deep... Well, it is a deep fake because they're using like earlier footage of his face from the like, the Disney vaults or the Lucasfilm yeah. vaults um, to actually craft that image. They're not... you know, I think the Irishman, they were literally just painting out wrinkles and things like that. So it is more advanced than that level. It still threw me off. I was like, ah, oh, damn. And to be fair, I just watched a bunch of old indie films yeah. where he looks younger. So maybe that's part of the reason why I really... I could tell. But then it would cut to the wide of him like climbing the train. And even yeah. the wide angles looked really bad. The the floaty jump that he does in the animation. And what what blows my mind, and, I, and I've been trying to look this up and see if anyone else has said this, the whole film looks like animated and floaty. Even one-on-one dialogue scenes, characters just look like they're moving and turning like too fast. Like, just the whole film just kind of looked fake to me in a weird way. It does look weirdly plastic in parts. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I didn't mind all the deep fake just facial stuff right um the scene where he's getting hung at the, the start wasn't mm. like that was fine but yeah the train one was funny you look like this <laughs> you, you sit there and you're like why why isn't that just a silhouetted person yeah but it felt you know what this film felt felt mm. weirdly cheap ironically despite the I fact know, the it, 300 million dollar budget despite yeah. the, the budget and all this cgi stuff but it did feel like at times i was like was some of this shot in covid because it feels like there are mm. these weird kind of disjointed scenes that didn't quite make sense to me that they made it feel way cheaper or it was way low budget trying right. to pretend to be big budget. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had that feeling. Um, like in terms of the composition and things like yeah, that? Yeah, there was some yeah. weird compositional shots and or even little things like... There were just weird moments like the fact that they go to Sicily and there there's like people that are actually going and visiting the place that they're going right. to go into. I thought that was so weird to me, but mm. um, almost felt national treasure-esque. Maybe it's the transition <laughs> of time, but um, I don't know. There was just aspects to it that felt kind of off. 
this this whole film made me feel off. Whereas, like, yeah, for me visually, it felt off so much of the time. And, yeah. and another big example is the big car chase that happens. And and I love the idea of like these little free wheeler vehicles all bumping into each other. And it's like I'm sure that they do sort of move funkily because it's only free wheels and they're quite loose. And but it just still felt so floaty and animated and fast. Yeah. Like, cars would fly into each other so fast. I'm like, that's not realistic. When I look at Last Crusade, when he's dangling off the the nose of the tank and yeah. he's, like, getting crushed against those rocks, it's like, that's... So, it just looks so real. Those are real things that he's getting smashed into. There's yeah. real weight Whereas to Whereas you compare that. that with the the battle that's occurring between the general and Indy at the start of the film, mm. when they're going under tunnels and he gets put up against the the tunnel that's roof. That's right, yes, yes. It doesn't look real. It looks fake. Well, even that, it's like they're going through that so fast. Yeah. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't his entire body just like f- shoot across the train yeah. when he does that? Yeah. It, it, and there are so many weird like rubber man stuff, and that's what mm. I hated about John Wick Four was it just turned right, into yeah. our main characters just rubber man. They, they they don't die. They get put in these obscenely ridiculous, and they're just they're unkillable. Yeah. And it removes stakes from scenes. You don't feel like a character's gonna die. You're not ducking and weaving like you are in Raiders when yeah, he's getting exactly. himself beaten to a pulp and it's you know it's like in this one Disney fire effect what happens to the big mountain character he gets killed by the child right like <laughs> that's the difference you know that's yeah. the world we live in short round didn't do anything like that like no well that, that whole thing yeah was like we honoured short round for his bravery when he chased after the big brute but it's like he lost that battle in five seconds. Yes. What's honourable is that he still had the courage to do that. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, it's like, oh, now the little child can kill people. And yeah. <laughs> all that. And I get it. Like, it's just like, it was like smart ingenuity thinking, but it's like, there's your big brute character that everyone's been like running into his chest the yeah. whole time. <laughs> and it's like undone by a 12-year-old. Yes, that's so good. Um, But yeah, it felt, it felt very off. Like you said, it's got some weird weird stuff the eel stuff i just i you know that whole scene I, were you even meant to see anything in that scene like right it's just bubbles and and objects sliding around and like i i get the whole like oh they look like snakes and i was like oh no they don't but now now it's like in his head and he thinks of them as snakes okay you i get li- that you don't actually see the retrieval or anything like that there's nothing <laughs> um they only dived like 20 meters yeah. <laughs> the treasure was there <laughs> it's like the mystery of this film it doesn't feel like there's anything interesting about mm. the hunt for yep. this object that can we not forget was made by this apparently brilliant mathematician and what did he do he took the dial out to the ocean and just <laughs> and the only reason they found the first half is because it was at a higher sea level <laughs> That's actually what happened. Yeah. And the only bit of decoding that happens is from the box they retrieve from the lower half. <laughs> and they got to melt a bit of candle wax. So that was it. That oh, was... that's right. The candle wax, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, it felt yeah. very... And, and and especially in a film that's two and a half hours, that was the only puzzle solving. Well, that that's the key. And like you said earlier, or you alluded to earlier, it's like, if, if you're going to do old man indie... And I actually got a quote from James Mangold where he said he really wanted to emphasize Indy's age in this journey. And I'm like, you just made a, you, you Characters just made jokes about how old he is. Yeah. That's all you did. Like, you're right. You should incorporate more puzzle solving because that's something that Indy, in an older age, 
can well, do more the, than the physicality. The reality is, is it, it should be it should be like an up, you know, like your yeah. the indie's rivals should be as old as indie, which means mm. that his villains are going to be aged too. This is this is turning more into a battle of wit that still has danger, yeah. still has action set pieces for sure. But he is now, like we said, the Sean Connery character. Yes. You know, that's what Helena's for. Because she can start doing a few more of those things. And he's more the brains behind it. And she's, yeah. And that was kind of what I think Spielberg was going for with the Mutt indie dynamic. Right. Was Mutt was going to be the adventurer, less thinking, more action. There was definitely elements in there where like they kind of had to work to each other's strengths. Yeah. So I it baffles me that this film kind of... They just seem like two equally skilled adventurers. Yeah, pretty much. They, they don't really offer each other any... She's just as smart as... Like at the start of the film when he's doing the lecture. Yeah. She knows all the answers to the questions. Yep. She knows all the answers to that particular quest that we're about mm. to go on. So really, he actually doesn't have to offer any... And that's what makes the motivation so mixed. Yeah. He originally goes to Morocco for no other reason other than to clear his name. Well, that's... Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that was so contrived it's not a word i usually use like you know that but it was contrived and unnecessary and yeah. and if you tie that 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 ties even in in terms of we're following hero who's physically not at his peak anymore and his goal is to 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 turn her into more of a fucking family person understand the danger of what she's doing he has to do that with his wits yeah. and it makes it tougher when if they if there's a physical challenge where they're in danger if they have to dodge you know, like spikes being shot at them from the the rocks or there's like a thing they have to climb. The fact that she's way more fit than he would be would make his challenge more difficult. We and know. he has to find other ways to, to get to her and to get to her fast. And you get excited because he's talking about Archimedes at the start of the film. He's talking about, oh, he's this great engineer. He designed these massive claws that mm. would call things. So you're going, oh, they're going to do a doom crawl. Like they're going <laughs> to go into, they're going to go into a tomb. And there's going to be all of these crazy contraptions and stuff, and they're going to require his intellect and his knowledge to get around those yep. things. You know, you've literally set it up. <laughs> this guy you've is brilliant. Done he the hard created, part, yeah. He's created these amazing dials and stuff. And what do they do? They go to a tourist attraction <laughs> and climb up a rock face <laughs> and crawl through a hole with a couple of bugs and yeah. then some kind of methane. That was oh the other thing. God. That methane scene made no sense. He was like, cover your mouth, and then proceeded for the entire scene not to cover his mouth. <laughs> she did. He picked up these heavy boulders, yep. put them down, and that solved it at the tomb. There's the dial. In which, might I also add, <laughs> her jest, her making up that entire narrative to send Mads Mikkelsen in the opposite direction was undone because he had a pair of binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> that was so Uncharted-esque, that moment. I'm not lying. Literally, say, he I'm... literally is like, okay, okay. Because I thought this too. I was like, all right, we have to talk about this this moment here. They they escape with their lives and the artifact and the knowledge. Like they're okay. Like, all right, we're in the lead. And I was thinking, this is like this is the first time in an indie film where they've had like this much of an advantage over the villains. This is gonna be really interesting. And she's she's and... done this beautiful, convincing, fantastic jest and escape. Yeah. Like she's actually done a really good Indiana Jones moment. Yeah. It's a celebratory moment for our heroes. And so it's like they've just escaped with their lives and now they're going in a certain direction. And Max Mickelson turns around and he's like, well, (laughs) he's got binoculars. They're going west. (laughs) They're going east. And my first thought was, 
surely someone would see it and be like, oh, they're just going in whatever direction they're going to not get shot at. It's like, oh, they're going, yeah, west instead of east or east instead of west. I know exactly where they are now. And he just, in the next scene, he's just there. Well, the funny thing is they clearly just followed them for like a day <laughs> behind. They were just there behind him. So when friggin', what's his face? The, the little kid, the ch- Teddy? Teddy, Teddy, yeah. Teddy walks around the corner and sees them. It's not a He's surprise. <laughs> like, it wasn't like a how you got there. It's like, no, they were just Chilling. stalking you from the back. And for some reason, you guys don't know how to turn around. Was the dumb- That was. There are some that of the dumb- really. I just started laughing. I was like, that's insane. There are moments in this film where I actually was sitting there going like, I'm longing for the Papa John's fight <laughs> in Uncharted. That, I mean, yeah, that was the most Uncharted-esque like, contrivance. Because oh. that was a very similar thing where- he like tricked Chloe, Nate tricked Chloe into going into the wrong direction. But then she they found out where he was because they literally just saw him drive past. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, it's over there. There he is. Oh, when I, when the when the African American <laughs> CIA agent died. Yes. Being a part of the antagonist, but then just died abruptly, all I thought about was Agent Anto- Mason. Was was all I thought about was Antonio Banderas dying in the middle of the film. <laughs> and then for the for the weird henchmen people replacing them and then sure enough friggin' Antonio Banderas yeah. shows up and I'm like oh, oh he's not lasting 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> there's this character here's Antonio Banderas introduced into a franchise film he's not gonna last more than 30 minutes there that's pretty real no, that's his fate forever he's died more times than John Hurt has now <laughs> um, when did you do Pain and Glory 2 <laughs> the sequel it, I, it oh, just for me there were so many dumb things like that or or this moment when they were like ready to fly into the fissure, and mm. for some reason, what a word. fissure time fissures fissures. Yeah, it was. Oh man, and and Teddy accommodates the Cessna craft oh, yeah. next to it. It <laughs> has some random Italian man in it. It went. It's like oh no, like. Oh great, he's gonna save our heroes. He's in the Oh no, there's someone behind him about to wake up. He's gonna have to like fist fight this person. He's like, oh no, he's just there. Just Geppetto. He's waiting. It's just Geppetto. He's like, what's going on here? This is exciting. Who who basically forms no threat at all. Has totally he's totally fine with the fact that he's now in two hundred and thirteen AD or whatever. <laughs> like, has no problem, no fully acclimatizes to the fact that he's now two thousand years in the past. Which is what I find really funny mm. that there's so many moment that whole last sequence to me was just so dumb like <laughs> it just you know how in the other films we yes. see our antagonists like you said they get the object of their desire and then are undone by it yes, that's actually exactly. that's a that's staple the demise, the, that's yeah. the staple of the indiana jones film the ark of the covenant gets opened everyone melts you know donovan gets the attempts to drink from the holy grail dies yeah obviously you know, Kate, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett, she dies from too much knowledge. Blows yes. her head up. Yep. Mads Mikkelsen dies in a plane accident. <laughs> because a bunch it, of spears it, yeet. Y- yeah, it yeeted. You could, you could argue, like, because, I guess because of the ancient technology. Well, it's not even, it wasn't even a technological thing. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the, te- the, the spears got it. But, like, I guess he used the device to get to that time period where he died. It's it's kind of like saying, like, oh, 
What's the whole thing with the fact that the the phoenixes have rotor blades and the, right, right? Like I get it. Like it was meant. It was meant to be. It was the destiny of those characters. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just it's, it was more of a stretch than the other films. Yeah. Is I think the key that yeah, just wasn't that saying. much fun. And the fact that there's a bunch of random Nazi guys just starting to shoot poor Roman and Greek soldiers. Imagine if that happened to you. You'd be like, what the? F- I'm already getting invaded. There's two random metal <laughs> the dragons. And what's the weird, dragons in the sky? What I find really weird is they only they don't attack. Yeah, um, old mates. Uh, what's the kid? I keep forgetting what the kid's name is. Teddy. Teddy. They don't even attack his aircraft. His aircraft's just chilling next to it, just. <laughs> Fine, not getting any harpoons or anything. That was a sacred baby dragon. They can't. They can't attack no, those. But the big dragon. The big dragon. Go to like, town. We're gonna destroy this and skewer everyone inside. Yeah. Look, I. I think in theory, I. I didn't mind like them taking literally traveling back in time. I was like, yeah. you know what? I mean, we're enough entries into the franchise now. All the endings are kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. It didn't like bother me, but especially indies like I want to stay here makes no sense that was ridiculous to me that's like a Woody at the end of Toy Story 4 moment for me of like the, everything about where this character's been going it literally was Woody in Toy Story 4 I was like I'm just so shell shocked by this decision about this legacy character that's the retconning that's a stupid Bo Peep retconning I won't forget <laughs> it I'll defend I'll go against anyone that thinks that that was a good idea mm. It's, the, the, same, it's yeah. the same thing. It literally his whole point was about preserving history, not living in it. Exactly. Yeah. Like the you know, it was a great character moment for him. This is a great when when the first spear goes through the plane and he's like injured and in the plane, he touches the spear. He like he touches the point of the spear. I'm like that's that's great because like he he can't help but like oh I'm fascinated like I want to touch the material and feel this and like oh my god like that's a great moment yeah not him wanting to literally just stay there and die within 10 minutes by the way he should have died way a gunshot right to the chest right in yeah. his heart at his age at his age he should have just died instantly yeah. <laughs> 10 <laughs> times like, being shot it's just like could he have not just been shot somewhere else if he needed to like live for that period of time? Did he need to get shot? Really? Could he not? I guess he probably should have got shot in the stomach or something, right? Something Which is just like not directly in his heart. Whereas mm. like he should, at he, you're right, at his age he should. If he was shot in the leg, and like he's physically incapacitated or he's losing he, a lot like, of blood, yeah, or like he's struggling to move, yeah, but like. Where where they decided where they had all these meetings in pre production Zeke of where where Indy's gonna get shot in the in the Just finale the of the film as like in a place where everyone's like yeah he should be dead by now literally nowhere yeah. else in his body <laughs> other than maybe his head oh goodness I, I I feel like I'm getting really nitpicky with some of these jokes and these complaints but I think at the end of the day for me Zeke this is where it comes down to with Dial of Destiny and why I think mm. it might actually be my least favorite indie film i think it's mine too you look at what these films are meant to be you've yeah. got the heroic character of indiana jones and like going on a romp adventure with him and this kind of does that sure with a lot of fuzzy details and extra motivations and all these things that don't need to be there okay with if, if that's not serving it it should be like a spectacle i mean the original indiana jones films were these big spectacles for the stunt work and like these wonderful practical effects and these great action set pieces. And watching this is like, well, the majority of them just feel like cartoons. Yeah. They're floaty and, and so fast. And I'm watching this being like, well, this, this wasn't shot for real. 
Like, some of it was, I'm sure. I'm sure there were some car crashes they did for real, but yeah. so much of the integral action, it just felt fake. Felt fake, yeah. So, it doesn't achieve an indie film. Like, what what is an indie film? Like, it doesn't achieve that. And I think, lastly, for me, there, there was one other thing that, for me, it was just like, it just didn't deliver on that on that scale. Needed more John Reese davis mm. I reckon. <laughs> Sorry, Boyd Hol- Holbrook. <laughs> yeah. I just... He's completely wasted. He's so good in Logan. Mm. He's completely wasted in this film. It's a shame. There's a, there's a like I said, there's it's the biggest indie film. There's like all of these supporting cast and a lot of them feel quite wasted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was weird with Toby Jones. So I was like, okay, he's part of the prologue and that's his establishment. Cool. That's great. But then he appears in like one random flashback a little later and then that's it. It's yeah. like, I don't know. I think there were, there were more interesting and conservative ways to, to do the story and to have these characters. It's also quite funny that Indy promises to destroy this very powerful dial mm. doesn't do so does he put it in a museum no he puts it in a paper bag in an archive where <laughs> anyone could access it if they were rummaging <laughs> through it wasn't like it was in a secure vault like the raiders yeah what happens with the raiders um the ark sorry the ark of the covenant that would have yeah. if it wasn't for phoebe waller bridge's character being like i'm gonna teach you the lesson in fact because Catherine kennedy runs this studio and that that felt very personal. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. but but I can't help but think that I'm like clear. The only reason she has the arc and she's the one teaching Indy his arc and reuniting him with with Karen Allen is because Disney wanted her to be the you know the the girl boss. It's that passive see- progressivism, <laughs> exactly. ruining every entity. Always, you know, it always comes. I back. went and saw Mary Poppins on broad like, oh, on Broadway very nice. when I was away, and I was like. Man, it must be so interesting to watch that film and then watch the new one, mm. which I haven't seen either. So that's my first. That's right, a new Mary Poppins film. Um, but yeah, well, a few years ago, I think it was like just it was like it was it, because of COVID, it was like on the posters for a year. Yeah, it was like that kind of that period of time when it yeah. came out. But yeah, this this film I reckon's my least favorite, pretty safely my least favorite. I mm. honestly think it does get to that. Maybe not as bad as Uncharted, but boy, at times it does feel close to that. Yeah. With and its it, obsceneness. It just lingers on and on and on. And like my, it was a very, you know, I talked, <laughs> I talked about um, No Hard Feelings being like a full crowded cinema for this like raunchy comedy. And I mean, to be, what time did I see? Oh, no, it was like Saturday, 8.30 PM that I saw this. And yeah, the theater was virtually dead. There was like one Asian family and then like I think a couple behind me that I swear to God left 20 minutes into the film. They left and didn't come back. And crickets. There was no like palpable excitement in the cinema no. at the adventure. There was no laughs. There was the Disney sort of Bafos comedy where it's like, give him hell, Indiana Jones. And oh, he almost got hit by a taxi. I guess that's a funny beat. No? Okay, moving. Next scene. It felt it just I, feel awkward. That was, it was like, was that meant to be like a funny... Yeah. What I had, was I had, that? I had about quarter full cinema. Like you said, no. I had a five-year-old applaud it at the end. So I guess applaud that was it. That's so cute. It was very cute. It was very Yay. cute. So like that was good. Like that? And her mum applauded with her, I guess. Oh, so that was cute. nice. It killed her inside to do that. 
But hey, if they got what they needed out of it, they got their rocks off from that film. Hey, no, look, if you watch Star of Destiny and you're like, that was so fun, it was a great adventure, it was very, like, action-packed and it was thrilling, I loved it. Don't listen to that, these grizzled... That, <laughs> don't listen to us grizzled old men. No, that's fantastic. It's great. But I'm just saying, personally, for me, I was... The, all the character arcs and motivations threw me off. Um, the visual effect and the, the, the action, stunt-filled spectacle of it all didn't even touch any of the other films, including King of the Crystal Skull, which had plenty of practical, like, motorcycle chases and things like that. Um, Lots of extras in there. And and lastly, like, okay, well, is this like a spoof on the 30s adventure serial or the 50s B-movie sci-fi, you know, Mars Attacks and blah, blah, blah? No, it doesn't do any of that. Yeah. So it's like, I've got nothing from this movie. Why would I watch this film again? Yeah. Like, it's, for me, honestly, it's like at least... I could rewatch Uncharted over this film because at least I can laugh at Uncharted like mm. nonstop. Like it's cringeworthy funny. This film is so nothing to me. I just don't get anything. It's so much. Like I said, it's it's considerably longer than the next longest film. Yeah. It's not as entertaining. All it makes you do is, man, I really just want to watch Raiders again. I just want to watch like Last Cruise. I want to yeah. go back to the time when this was like. And these were great films. Great films. It's it's a shame and like. I wasn't surprised by this. There were quite. I know Stephen was very like excited and hopeful, and I, and I think he walked away kind of mixed ultimately with the film. I I would say that I'm still mixed because there's ideas in there. As much as I, you're right, have no inclination to rewatch the film or any, anything like that. Um, there was a hope that this would be the Logan of Indiana Jones. Yeah, and I I just don't think that was ever possible. I mean, of course, there's a world where you make a great Indiana Jones film in 2023, but the story, I mean, the story I, had to be think, thought out, and it just wasn't. Mm. You know, you've got this character, this this character that's presumably now in their late sixties, early seventies, yeah. canonically, and which at that time is the back end of that person's life. Mm. You know, they're retired or they're retiring, and this that whole retiring aspect, I don't think gets addressed at all, really. There's a couple of throwaway lines. Mads yeah. Mikkelsen goes, oh, with relics from a different time. It doesn't come across. Mm. Mads Mikkelsen looks younger than, obviously, Harrison yeah. Ford does considerably. Um, and it gets put to the to the back because it's this, this Helena arc needs to be addressed and it doesn't even really get addressed because, like you said, her character has to be so alpha and everything mm. that she's not really that likable no you know a lot of indiana jones's charm comes from the fact that he's he's charismatic and intelligent but he's lucky too yeah a lot he's very lucky very lucky um and it's all in in those early films it's how brilliant ford is at emoting himself mm. and i i just don't get the same performance out of this i think that they're looking for this person to pass the torch, and I just think this franchise needs to be put to rest. We just don't need another film. We don't need a sequel, a spiritual. Find another, create something new for yeah. the love of God. Exactly. I don't care. And like if- they, they tried with Uncharted. I'll give them that, and and Tintin as well. It's like there's all these other ways to go forward with this type of adventure, and and evidently, if the box office speaks, the Indiana Jones name means nothing. Like, it's, it's you know, I mean, $300 million is not anything to scoff at, but for the amount of money they pumped into this film, yeah. 
it's a gigantic financial bomb and loss for Disney. So you might as well just create a new name. Just give Tomb Raider another go. Yeah. Like, seriously, give Tomb Raider another go. <laughs> People like that. People like those new games, don't they? Yeah. No, no, no. I, so, was it? Because was, I had a trilogy of games, but it was like 2013, 15. I played the first one. 2013, 16, and I 18, it. I think. Yeah, I liked the first one. Yeah. Well, it was good. I played, I played two of them. You know, it's just like, for me, yeah, just, can we just pick something new? There's got to be another adventure. Do another National Treasure film. Mm. More Nick Cage. Thanks. They might. They might. Let's do it. Before we move on to our highlight scenes, I want to give a few shout outs to a few things. Yes. We indeed got a Wilhelm scream. We which... get two, didn't we? Did we get two? We might have. Definitely got one in the opening train Yes, I heard sequence. that one. There might have... Maybe there was one at the end as well. Yeah. During the Roman battle. I'm not too sure. Um... Yeah, there were ship noises too from Star Wars. Yeah, you know what's funny? I didn't pick up on that, but I read in the IMDb trivia there was the Millennium Falcon like yeah, boop, getting boop, damaged. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That was in there. I picked that, up on that. That is a staple in all the films. Yes. So I'm glad you picked up on that because I, for the life of me, didn't couldn't find it. Um, I love that. Well, I love. Um, this is the first film in the franchise where the Paramount Mountain doesn't cross dissolve into like the the thing that sets the movie off. Oh. Cuz even even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull the mountain turns into a little dirt mountain that a beaver jumps out of. And this time it was actually the Lucasfilm logo that that cross dissolves and match cuts with like a latch, like an old lock that's been bashed. So I was like, okay, that's an interesting way to twist it up, I suppose. And finally the aligned map transitions. We do get a couple of those. Yeah, they don't they're not as fun. <laughs> and they're also paired with the Mads Mikkelsen they're oh, going they the other way <laughs> oh my god that was oh that was oh, yeah that, can that, that be that my was... highlight scene because it's so dumb that that can be your highlight scene um, it was just hilarious my, my highlight scene other than the HR puff and stuff cameo that <laughs> shows up on the TV it was great um I actually, the one scene that didn't feel floaty or animated or like it just felt like a tangible set that, that the characters explore was the catacombs a fair bit later in the, after the sequence where we talked about them climbing. Yeah. I actually liked like the set and it's it's the one time I think in the film where there's like bugs that they all like have to like, that's oh, another yeah. staple of the franchise and um, even just like the trap door from beneath them falling, turning into a slide and the water yeah, mechanics. Yeah, the one puzzle. In yeah, the well, methane it, it, room. Exactly. That doesn't yeah. cover their mouths. <laughs> I, I just, I like visually. I was like, okay, this feels yeah. more tangible. I like this. Yeah. Um, so that might be my highlight scene, in all honesty. Yeah. Was, was there a real highlight scene um, for you? <laughs> gee, that's actually quite difficult. Um, <laughs> everything just feels a bit disjointed and weird. I do like when they get into Archimedes' tomb um, and they're looking at right. the. The Phoenix, it's a nice little prelude and the, 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 the watch. watch. yeah. Um, we gets paid we off, kinda yeah. get the essence of what the film should have been. I do like the the scene when they burn the wax down and reveals the, the yeah. disc. Once it's a pretty, pretty similar really to, to mine. Yeah. Pretty much pretty much the same elongated scene, I suppose. Yes. Sequence. Yeah, because we I we get the essences of the movie I think that we we should have got with it. You know, this mm. like we said it should have been this this gun ho eager to please but um reckless and young person being tutored by an older seasoned weathered 
yeah person i think that's such an easy plot mm. and it's such an, e- an easy consumable palatable engaging plot would be there and the resentment would be simple it's like you know like she doesn't have any resentment for the fact that he left one day and this goddaughter magically appeared completely different and she has no resentment for not being him not being around yeah like she has one throwaway line that oh, what did you expect to happen when my father died and you weren't there to do your job as a godfather? Because I guess she, she's meant to be like, a, she's hardened from that experience. But we don't get the, the breaking point, do we? Mm. We never get the moment where she's actually got something pent up inside. We, yeah, exactly, where it's revealed. And that, that's, the re- that's the reason it's so hard for Indy to reach out to her and convince her of the danger. And then eventually she, you know, you're right, breaks down. And like, you know, I really did miss you. And I really did remember that the moment you left, which you keep re- referencing earlier. Yeah. And it's like, I do think about all those things. And and the funny thing is, in, yeah, the, in yeah, this moment. pursuit to try and make this strong, independent, this, 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 the fully all in one female character, you're mm. actually removing, yeah, that likability because she's not feeling human at times. Yeah. You're taking that human essence out. So at the end when she's like, you know, you have to come back and she's starting to emote, you're like, where did that, where was that all this film? <laughs> Even like her, if her love was more visual for, you know, the kid. Yeah. You know, for, for Benny. Is it Benny? Teddy. Ooh, Teddy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we need to get a shirt printed on. <laughs> Seek forgetting Teddy's name. <laughs> it's just a throw. I keep thinking short round. See, he needed a name. He needed a he name. He needed a more, yeah, better um, name. But... <laughs> like, because at best, Betty. at best, once again, it's a little exchange. Oh, I picked him up because he was trying to pickpocket me. And then I took him under his wing and we've been together ever since. Oh, so you do care about him. But it's like when he gets, when he gets taken, mm. she's not like up in arms. She's like, oh, I hope he's going to be okay. And that's the best we get. Not like, right. I'm really scared because she Cause can't. Because that, that's another window they could have gone where Indy realized like, oh, like this is my way to her heart is this kid that she refuses to admit she has feelings for. So maybe that becomes the danger is that now she has to she has to rescue Teddy, yeah. and Indy again in this mode of like no it's too dangerous and maybe that ties back into the but she doesn't go trying to say they just Mark. move ahead they just no, move exactly. ahead Teddy yeah, solves I, out his own problem I feel like we wrote a better arc yeah on this podcast just just talking about this film come on James which look 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 I'll say this before we move on. It's easier to watch a finished product and be like, well, this uh, tweak this and tweak that, and that's how you make it better. Yeah. It is easier to do. It's harder when you're in it and you're making the thing. You spend years of your life making this thing, and, and you're, you're, in, you're in this narrow tunnel vision. I acknowledge that completely, but it just it drives me nuts because like, these are people but the, but who the- are getting paid a ridiculous amount of money and are given a lot of time to craft these stories these legendary stories and it just feels like so obvious so many of the things that are problematic about this film but it is and you know at the end of the day we're a customer we pay a ticket Mm. to go watch a product we're allowed to say what we want on that product yeah because that's how that industry you've turned it into that industry you know Mm. Uh, well exactly this is a this film is a product of of the new hollywood system the one that's ruled by marvel and profits Yes. purely profits and I think you know there's criti- in the Spielberg documentary earlier there was that criticism of like oh well he birthed the blockbuster with Jaws and now he's gonna he's gonna run films down there. and it's like no uh, sure you can argue that maybe what he did with Jaws led eventually 20-30 years later 
to what really does feel soul-sucking, financially-focused executives running all these movies. But you're right. This The fact of the matter is this is a product that was clearly made and sanded and polished to be something safe and digestible and make a shitload of money. And it hasn't done any of those things. It's I'm, a fact. I hope this keeps happening because Disney has had one of... Its stretch in the last year and a half has been really poor, mm. all things considered. And I hope we keep pressing this because that is how innovation will happen. They will be exactly. forced to make something to, new, to make something new and original. And we really get to, you know, and then we're going to start to enjoy that product. And yeah, they'll probably run that into the ground eventually, but <laughs> at least there'll be a time where we get something new and innovative because it just, exactly. you know, it's great. Honestly, it makes me happy to see things like elementals and, and then all of these Marvel films not turning profits or getting critically mm. panned and or becoming less. The and Little less... Mermaid, which I actually have no idea how that performed, but like well. those are the kinds of films that that shouldn't be performing well. It's just like I'm sick of seeing the same shit over and over again. Yeah, well, when you're peddling, yeah, you're peddling the same stuff yeah. and expecting us to pay the same amount. It's just not good enough to me. You know, at the end of the day, people on Little Mermaid they all got a job, they all got paid. Let's move on. I mean, some of them didn't get paid too much, but um, but it, at the end not of the, the day, VFX stars, they, they were paid anything. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, they're just crying most of the time. Oh god. So yeah, I, I agree. All right. Well, Indiana yeah. Jones and the Dial of Destiny is currently out in cinemas near you. Speaking of cinemas, what's new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week, Jake? Some interesting stuff. Like, I didn't realize this was a thing. Coming to Netflix this week, Bird Box Barcelona. Spin-off to the 2018 film with an all-new original cast. Remember Bird Box? Oh, my God. Didn't even like the first one. <laughs> What's it going to do? Is it like The Purge? Are they just doing, like, random... It's, yeah, because it's like a whole new story, like Walking Dead, and it's millions Still have to be blind. Up. Yeah, I guess that's... Yeah. I'm surprised they're this bloody long. Yeah. What? Why, why did it take this long? It wasn't like it was a... Because you don't really see the monster, if I remember correctly. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. The whole thing is, is if it you the look mist? At it, is that the whole thing? Essentially, you like yeah. look at it and it kills you. It's just like I mean, we talked about Indiana Jones being like an ode to serials. I mean, look at Extraction. That's what Netflix should have done with Bird Box. It's like, oh well, let's bunch a bunch of these out as quick as possible. Yeah. But it's like, unlike Extraction, it's like, oh Bird Box, it was a huge hit and everyone, people are watching it, and let's wait five years to do another one. Yeah. Just. Very odd. Bird Box Barcelona. I know. Coming this week to Netflix. Also, coming to San, you've got House of Gucci and Lucas Dont's critically acclaimed Close, which actually saw a DVD of the other day, so it's actually way easier to get that than I thought, but I'm hearing great things about that film. Coming to cinemas, Talk To Me is the directorial debut excuse me, of Australian YouTubers turned filmmakers Rucka Rucka, Danny and Michael Philip Philippou? Philippio? Philippou? Philippou. Philippou? It'd be Philippou. Philippou. P-P-O-U. Yeah. Um, did you watch any of the... They did like the Harry Potter versus Star Wars. They were like kind of special effectsy, fast-paced videos. Ronald McDonald goes on a slaughter. Nah. I've seen a few of those. They fun? Yeah. I From memory. You know, when, you were, when you were in high school, they were fun to watch as a group and laugh. And Right. No, yeah. I have not seen any of those. Interesting, yeah. So they, they have been given the reins. Well, actually, no. I mean, they just completely made it themselves, and A24 bought the distributed rights to it. So, uh, yeah, well done to them. Very excited to see it. Follows a group of friends who discover how to conjure spirits by using an embalmed hand. You might have saw the trailer to this at 
You might saw it in, ahead of Indiana Jones, potentially. Yeah, I don't think I did. Yeah, I it's, it's a very clear horror film. We were a little it. late, so I don't know if I missed... Uh, possibly. ...some of the trailers. I'm yeah. trying to remember what trailers we did get to see. I'm trying to think what... Yeah, played the other day in front Completely of Indiana Jones. wiped over me. I don't think any... Because ba- ba- Barbie played in front of No Hard Feelings, but not... Oh, but then Oppenheimer played in front of Indiana Jones. Oh, we got Oppenheimer. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the only one I remember seeing, yeah. It looks so good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, very, very keen. Uh, what else comes out? Uh, Dally Land is a biographical drama with Ben Kingsley souring as a surreal painter, uh, surrealist painter Salvador Dani, or Dali, I should say. Yep. Um, that's exciting. Carmen is the musical drama starring Paul Mescal and Melissa Barrier. Barrier? Barrier. Don't know how to pronounce that. Journeying from Mexico to Los Angeles. It is directed by Benjamin Millipede, who was a choreographer and performer in Aronofsky's Black Swan and the latest Dune. Very so, good. Uh, I got, similar to John Wick, where it's you know kind of like a stunt artist turned director situation, mm. but more for choreography dance. So that's interesting. It's coming to cinemas this week. Uh, speaking of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, because we just talked about for Indiana Jones, uh, Fleabag Live returns to the big screen, a one-woman play that inspired the hit show of the same name and was filmed in London's West End in 2019. Comes back to Luna and I think events in that this week. Oh. So, uh, could be because I never saw Fleabag the show. So, it might, this kind of feels like the prelude, prelude to that. Right. So, very interesting. And kind of where she got her. I mean, if it wasn't for Fleabag, she certainly wouldn't have been cast in in Indiana Jones film. So interesting yeah. to see where that came from. That is and, intriguing. Mm, and finally, the Revelation Film Festival returns this week, Zeke. Oh, very exciting. Very spicy. So it starts Wednesday night, July 12th. You can check out the catalogue online. Obviously, Lunar and Backlot, and they're doing all their little catalogues and the Rev website and all that. You know, X Rental is still on the Rev On Demand webpage. So if you want to catch out the Jake Diagrella. <laughs> Hit documentary <laughs> X Rental. Uh, Check it out on the Revelation Film Festival page. Yeah, well, it's it's like a subsection. It's like it's a thing on their website, and you click and it takes you to a different website. But it's like their online category, and my film's still on there from like four years ago. It's which, fantastic. So I thought it was oh, thank you. I thought it was very funny. But the thing you really should be catching or looking out for is a short film called I'm Not a Nurse, which screens at Luna on Thursday the 13th and at Backlot on Saturday the 15th via the West Australia 2, Navigating a New World, Dramatic Narratives, and Microfictions, which is a film I second day seed on. Is it a feature film? No, it's a short. Short. I think it's 11 minutes. Right. So, yeah. I did talk about it once on the podcast. You did. You did. Um, they screened it at Murdoch. They might have done some edits and some changes, um, but that's where I you can you catch that film. I saw you working on it. While that's right. You were, yeah, you were working. While working <laughs> right at next the cafe. Us. That's right. Yeah. So, there you go. It's playing at Luna. Yes. Excellent. Um, I did do a little quick scout to see if there was other things that I recognized from local talent. Um, I couldn't quite see anything. Mm. Uh, there was one from Clayton, Disassociation. I think it's a Horace Short. Um, not that I'm very close with Clayton. We worked together on like, I think we worked together for like two days on a Star Trek thing. Right. Um, but other than that, uh, it's all going to be new territory, so I'll I'll see what I can do. Try and catch some of these. Yeah, try and see what you can catch. Yeah, especially the features. There's a feature that looks interesting. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about a kid who wants like wants to go to film school, but I think he's like 14 years old. Right. I'm literally basing this just on the photo they showed, but I was like, oh, a film about a film. 
We like that. But Zeke, that's everything coming to streaming and cinemas this week. Well, it's time for us to talk about what we're covering next week on the show. But Jake, Ooh. it's a director's corner. So who are the directors and what are we watching? It is. And a good catch there with the plural, Zeke. This is the first time in a long time we are covering a duo uh, directing partner. Should have said directing duo. It's, yeah. it's all right. I can learn about conservative language. Next week on the show, when we talk about Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris's Little Miss Sunshine. There is a message on the machine. Something about Little Mrs. Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah. What? Remember when Ollie was runner-up in the regional Little Miss Sunshine? That's the girl who won had to forfeit her crown. I don't know why something about diet pills, but anyway. Now she has a place in the state contest in Redondo California. Where's Olive? Oh, no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. A family loaded with quirky, colorful characters piles into an old van and road trips to California for little of Olive. Olive? It's Olive. It's little Olive. To compete in a beauty pageant. It's been a few years since I've seen this, Zeke, so I forgot her name was Olive. I think I what, this was a part of the 365, inaugural 365 Ooh, challenge. Oh, nice. I was a big fan of this film. Oh, it's excellent. Obviously, it's so good. coming in the wake of um, mm. a death of one of the cast members, but we can probably talk about that mostly next we, week. I'm we sure. certainly can. Very sad, but very talented. Alan Arkin. We will uh, talk more about that next week, I believe, Zeke. Yeah. But, you know, good way of honouring. And obviously looking at two directors that not super familiar with any of their other films. You sure. caught Battle of the Sexes. I did, yes. And they're uh, all on Disney Plus, all of their films. Yeah, so Disney Plus week. <laughs> Disney Plus week for us. Despite our <laughs> last hour of railing <laughs> Disney Plus. <laughs> Disney need to go down. Now let's spend all week watching Disney Plus. <laughs> Yay. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Science Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Little Miss Sunshine. Someone say Mags Mickelson getting clotheslined. <laughs> <laughs> and yet not having any.